0: Welcome back to another Coffee and Heroes podcast as we hit our monthly review show. Recording this on Friday the 10th of February with the intention being to go over all of the stuff that we enjoyed so much in January of 2023. As ever, this will be relatively spoiler-filled. We'll we'll try to be careful around the major spoilers, of course, but one of the reasons we hold off doing the monthly show and Going back a little bit, it's just so that hopefully the the statute of limitations on spoilers have slightly passed. So uh, your host is always, Alan, owner of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast, and joined as always by Keith. Good evening. How are you,
1: sir? I am good. We're recording a little bit earlier and a little bit differently tonight. It is a Friday evening here in, uh, I was going to say sunny Belfast, but it's not very sunny. It's uh, it's very very Um, dark. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I look forward to it, but I mean, definitely we're getting a wee bit of a stretch in the evenings. Uh but it is dark outside at the minute. But yeah, we're uh, we're recording on a Friday evening. We weren't able to on uh, on our usual Wednesday slot, so uh, a little bit later in the week. But still, uh, it's good to be uh good to be around and talking comics, especially after a after a, a week's work. Uh you know, rather than the, than the middle of the week. What about yourself, and Craig? You're in the store today. Normally you're uh, normally you're you're off on a Thursday and a Friday, but you were... You were about the place today?
0: I was in the store Thursday and Friday. Uh, I mean, Chris was still running oh, the store,
1: yeah. but just yeah, we're
0: with long term projects for getting upstairs, sorted, getting a bit more focus onto the website and therefore making stock is, making sure stock is organized. Um, we've been getting some new units, that kind of thing. But, you know, we didn't ignore downstairs as well. We made sure there's a couple of new display cases in there, uh, some new stock coming in as well. I'm going to be redoing the graphic novels over the next week or two. Marvel's going to get its own section. DC's going to get its own section. Um, like Vicky asked me, like, you know, why did you do that? You know, you used to have it as separate sections. But the thing was before... So if if you've never been to the store, we basically have three large bookcases in a row that are all Marvel and DC, and we organize them by a character. So, you know, all alphabetically, so all the Avengers is together, all the Batmans together, et cetera, et cetera. But the reason I did that was because at the time I had twice as much DC stock as Marvel stock, and I already get accused all the time of being biased as it is. So I wanted to make sure that the stock levels were a bit more uh, a bit more even, shall we say, a bit more balanced. And I've been working hard on that over the last sort of year or two, so I've reached a point now where I think that we have enough stock for two full bookcases of each publisher, uh, highlighting obviously classic stories from the past, more recent releases, um, you know, good runs on certain characters, things like that. So I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be changing that in the next few weeks because I also have finally uh, found something I've been looking for for about five and a half years, and it's a simple little thing, and it's probably not even something customers will even notice, but it's always annoyed the heck out of me but in our graphic novels you always want to have one or two front facing and you have to figure out a way to do that where the graphic won't easily fall Uh, if you pull the graphic out the books won't collapse into each other so I remember going to Waterstones years ago and what they did is they had brown boxes behind theirs so that's what I've been doing for a while I painted them all black to uh, meld in with the background and stuff but they still don't sit quite nicely but during a recent trip to Ikea our second home we found these great little stands that are—they're actually for iPads, but they—they they tilt at an angle. They have a lip at the bottom to hold your iPad or a graphic novel in this case, and they're wide enough that the books on both sides will fall into them. But when you take the book away, it's a solid structure, so they won't tip. And I went—I bought IKEA out of their stock of them last night. They didn't even have <laughs> as many as I wanted. But I'm going to be using those as well. As I say, it's a silly little thing that most people probably will not even notice.
1: You're getting a, you're getting a, you're getting a an eye into the mind of the the comic book retailer there, listeners. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, you know, th- these are yeah. the little
0: things that. Because this is the thing, I'm always looking for ways to improve the store. And see, nine out of ten improvements that I I make, I think people maybe subconsciously notice them, but I don't think people notice them. Go, oh, you've changed that. You've changed that, but. When you're in the store all the time and you always want to make sure it's the best possible store possible for people who are either new to the store or that you're not just, you know, resting on your laurels and keeping the same look all the time for regulars and so forth. You're always looking for just those little tiny tweaks that can just elevate the store a little more and and that's what we've been doing recently. So but I think I am reaching a point, although Keith will certainly say you've said this before alan but uh, i think i may have finally <laughs> maybe not reached...
1: that maybe not that aggressively or accusingly
0: i think i may have finally reached the point where i can't change anything else but we will see we will <laughs> we'll see. See, what stay stay
1: tuned. see what happens stay tuned but uh absolutely yeah so i suppose it's a wee while since we've uh since we've had a, a reviews podcast we've we've taken to a a monthly format which is a wee bit less pressure on on all of us and uh and gives us a a bit more to talk about. Uh, we've decided we're 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 pulling a top five from every month from across the the four weeks or sometimes five weeks of every release weeks of every month um, in order to to highlight what we're enjoying. We're moving straight on to January, but a reviews podcast we always get a chance to get a little bit of a general uh, a general pop culture catch up. Um, anything that's been uh, turning you on in the in the the news or the uh, the trailers recently, Alan? Yeah, I mean it's definitely a good time
0: if you're a fan of big budget movie making because we're hitting the Super Bowl this weekend. Now I have zero interest in American football. I love a lot of sports, but I have zero interest in American football. But it's a it, the Super Bowl is one of the most watched programs in the world every year. So movie companies scramble to buy like thirty second ad time or minute long ad time. So they'll always have the big trailers. For maybe summer blockbusters or movies coming out soon, there to get as many eyes on it as possible. So, you know, for example, you know, Fast and the Furious 10 will get a trailer. Even I'm burnt out in those movies at this point. They used to be guilty Fast pleasures. X. They used to be guilty pleasures. And they've <laughs> added. Just crap. Like, they've had <laughs> to this 10th movie, they've somehow added Jason Momoa and Brie Larson. Like, these people just must love just getting a paycheck to turn up in this stupid crap. But yeah, yeah. I'm just not interested because Fast Nine finally jumped the shark and they went to space in a car. Mm-hmm. I kid you mm-hmm. not. Um, but there were there are a couple of trailers I'm looking forward to. I did notice one first of all called 65. Now I hadn't heard of this, but it stars Adam Driver and nope. it it seemed to come out of nowhere. So it's to do it's, the, the story begins with a catastrophic crash of a spaceship on a seemingly unknown and uncharted planet. And the ship's pilot, Adam Driver, quickly discovers he's actually stranded on Earth at a point 65 million years ago, around the time of the extinction of the dinosaurs. The film's sort of being dubbed like Planet of the Apes meets Jurassic Park, and apparently offers like a somewhat different take on dinosaurs than Universal's, you know, mega Jurassic Park franchise. Um, but it actually looks really, really good, and again, it came out of nowhere, but... Sam Raimi's a producer on it, uh, the, the writers of A Quiet Place, Scott Beck and Bram Woods, are writing and directing, so good pedigree there for it, and again, it's it's nice, we live in a world now where everything gets announced right at the start, and there's teases along the way, and there's set photos, and there's not a lot of surprises come out anymore, but I watched the trailer for this, and it actually, again, has come out of nowhere, and looks actually really, really good, so it's going to be getting a uh, a Super Bowl spot, as an example,
1: had not uh, had not seen that. Um, I find myself getting, I don't know, weirdly a little more excited about. I mean, while I'm 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 all down for. I mean, superheroes are pop culture at the minute. They are the the totality more or less of pop culture. Uh, and even for a superhero fan, uh, you know, sometimes it can be a wee bit much.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so it's nice to see movies that are not that. And this is that, and uh, you and I both have a bit of a, you know, at the end of the day, most superhero movies that come out were sold on anyway, so you know, very often neither of us will watch the trailers or whatever. So I will definitely uh, swing in and watch the the trailer for that. Um, there's another Adam Driver out at the minute, White Noise. No, uh Seems to be an it. interesting. Yeah, it looks looks like an interesting sort of a sort of a movie. I think it's on one of it's on one of the streamers. Mm-hmm. Um, so must have a must have a wee, uh, a wee look at it. I see. Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Amongst Thieves, has also got a Super Bowl spot. Um, For me, that's one I'm sold on anyway. Uh, There have been two previous Dungeons and Dragons movies, uh, one of which starred the guy that played Jimmy Olsen in Lois and Clark um, back in the day um, with Dean Cain and uh, Terry Hatcher. Um, Terrible movies. Uh, One of them, the second one, was a video release, straight to video release. Uh, the first one was a, a cinema release, and I remember going to the Portrush cinema to see it uh, and uh, asking for a ticket for D&D, and the wee old woman behind the counter going, what? <laughs> you know, I was like, Dungeons & Dragons. But there was a bunch of us who went. Uh, this is a bigger budget movie, uh, Chris Pine uh, and a, a, a variety of other uh, well-known actors in there. Um it was well. I mean, there's been some controversy in 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 Dungeons and Dragons tabletop gaming circles of recent uh, of recent times, the last few weeks. Uh, Wizards of the Coast, who are the owners of uh, of Dungeons and Dragons, I think part of Hasbro, maybe. Um, there there has been a thing for the for 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 ages since since Dungeons and Dragons third edition. It's now in it's in its fifth edition, called the Open Gaming License, which allowed content creators to uh, create freely create and monetize content for the game uh, based on the rules. And that was that came under the Open Gaming License. Now, recently over the past few weeks, Wizards was making changes, proposed changes to that Open Gaming License, which meant that it changed the copyright. Uh, it changed the ability for, for independent creators to monetize uh, what they were doing. And uh, there was a whole big uh, internet bust up about it. Uh, members of the, the 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 gaming community would say that you know with wizards of the coast stepping back that they won i don't know if that's necessarily useful terminology to say <laughs> we won <laughs> that sort of tends to rub people up the wrong way but uh they, they they certainly have rolled back uh those those changes and one of the possible casualties there was dungeons and dragons under amongst thieves so i can see why they've taken out a super bowl ad uh you know in order to to, to 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 really try and excite people about it, especially whenever the audience for this movie are very much, you know, the core audience will be tabletop gamers. Uh, so uh, they're, they're, yeah, I'm excited about this anyway. There's an outbear in it. Very cool.
0: Yeah, the trailers look surprisingly fun. I mean, I think some of this movie was shot over here, wasn't it? Wasn't there like shooting yeah. taking place in Carrick and, and a few different locations oh. around the place? So um... yeah,
1: I had a had a had a buddy. He's the he was the the costumer on it actually. Mm-hmm. So, oh,
0: nice. uh, But yeah, yeah, it looks, yeah, it looks fun, and as you say, again, it's another big-budget movie that is a little bit of a step aside from the, the traditional superhero fare. It does, of course, go into the realm of fantasy and adventure and stuff like that, but it's nice to see. And it is, of course, a franchise movie, but it does move away mm. from sort of the Marvel and the DC universes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, one thing that definitely doesn't move away from the DC universe and is probably... It's probably the most curious trailer, I think, for a lot of people coming up with the Super Bowl, is that there's finally going to be a trailer, a proper trailer for The Flash. Now, The Flash is a strange beast of a movie. It has gone through many bumps in the road. It has gone through many controversies with its main star. It has apparently gone through tons of editing and rewriting. It now is in a situation where you know James Gunn and Peter Safran have come along and they're going to map out the DC Universe moving forward. Can they use this Flash movie as maybe a Flashpoint-esque situation where they can reset everything and then there you've got your blank slate. But it's also a movie that, despite all of that, it seems to be getting rave reviews from anybody who's seen it. Now, you could be cynical about that and say that only certain people who are going to say kind words have seen it and have been carefully leaking that to the press. Blah 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 blah. But there's a it's it's weird in a way because there's a lot riding in this movie, but there's not a lot riding in this movie if you know what I mean. Like the new direction for DC. It's neither it's about.
1: neither yeah. So it's in it's a, neither fish nor fowl really in some ways. It's, it's in uh, a really weird spot. It is, and I mean. You you could say that, you know, yeah, you there are intentionally positive pre-reviews, previews, pre-reviews, previews is the word, Keith, <laughs> leaking out. But James Gunn is someone who has already been slapped in the wrist by, by Warner Brothers for saying things on his Twitter that they shouldn't say about, you know, former... Former, uh, I guess, management teams and so forth. You know, now that he's in, in 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 place, so I mean, you sort of would think, given that, given that he has a he has a history of 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 not necessarily, uh, cleaving to the the com- communication rules of Warner Brothers. You know, him saying that it's that it's a, what did he say, the best DC movie seen so far, or whatever uh You would like to hope he's he's being honest rather than just being the marketeer,
0: yeah, rather than um, just falling
1: in line. I would, <laughs> yeah, I would say that James James Gunn doesn't have a lot riding in this movie either. Mm. This is, I mean, this is this this movie. I think is more of an inevitable holdover yeah. from it was one You of those know, they were just
0: invested too much money in it not to release it. That well, sense. that
1: didn't stop them with. Uh, didn't stop them with. Did I it? think
0: Backguard, <laughs> Though, if Backguard had budget had been a little bigger, I don't think they would have done it. I think it's. Ooh. I think you can only do those whole tax write-offs and stuff to a certain amount. And Backguard was a modestly budgeted movie. I think with this mm-hmm. flash movie, they've spent hundreds of millions. It's been. Yeah. has been reshoots. The effects, I'm sure, cost a fortune. Um, the delays, the marketing. It, as I say, it's a really curious movie. I will probably go yeah. and see it in the cinema. Um, yeah, yeah, but I'm really curious to see the trailer for it because Ezra Miller, I can take or leave. I don't quite have the same level of distaste for them that you do. I know that you don't think that they've done a really good interpretation of the character, for example.
1: Well, yeah, yes. Yeah. So let's be let's be clear. You know, just in a performance yeah, point of uh, view. Yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Any any uh, any dislike I have for for Ezra Miller in the role is is about how they play the role, which is. As you know, I'm a, I'm a huge Flash fan, especially off the back of of Joshua Williamson's run uh, on, on on the Flash, Barry Allen, um, and, and you know the Flash is one of my one of my favourite DC heroes next to next to Nightwing. Um, I think he, he's very much the you know the heart of the the human heart of the Justice League, um, and I I just don't think Miller gets that across at all. Doesn't play doesn't play anything that is reminiscent of any sort of of Barry Allen. Uh, So I'm just, you know, I just have not, I've never liked uh, the actor in the role, Uh, whether that's a case of the writing being the problem or the actor being the problem, I don't know, but I just have have, have very little interest as a result. Uh, I will see it, I may not see it at the cinema. I will note that, uh, and you noted earlier, uh, that uh, the poster, (laughs) <laughs> it's very much Batman centric, <laughs> you know, with, with, with Flash off in the distance, in the middle distance, a little bit. Um, yeah, a, it and, seems and a
0: that's, very carefully curated poster to me. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's not. I think so. You look at, like, Marvel, for example, have a very set, lots of floating heads, a little bit of uh, explosion in the background, a little bit of a villain in the background. a bit for, formulaic. They yeah, are very yeah. formulaic. And, and in fairness, a lot of DC posters have been very formulaic at this point as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I still will never get why they don't... Both companies don't just use the ridiculous amount of creative talent at their fingertips and get comic artists to do posters. But anyway, that's a different Yeah, discussion. I think,
1: yeah, I think, we've, I think we've, we've said before, those are posters that are made by committee. Yeah. And you know, rather this than one's artists.
0: interesting yeah. because it's almost like... Like, if you look at the poster, Ezra Miller's name is nowhere to be seen. His face is nowhere... Sorry, their face. Sorry, steam, Their face is nowhere to be seen. So they're it's a weird poster, it sort of like flashes this tiny little speck, and then you've got you know, I, as anybody who knows me knows I'm not a big fan of Batman 89 but the iconography <coughs> of it is is there, you know, and you can yeah, tell yeah, straight away yeah. with the, the shape of that bat symbol over the top, that that's the bat wing from Batman 89, so yeah, yeah, I, I sort of joked in our group chat, I was like this is this is just really like a funny holdover from the comics, because as a comic store owner, I know that 60-70% of DC's content is either a Batman title, or Batman might just turn up to try and drive those seals And this is almost like saying, we don't have full faith in this movie, but look, Batman's in it.
1: So, yeah, well, yes, exactly. I mean, the, the, the poster, uh, I think I described it earlier on as Batman is literally overshadowing the Flash and yeah. <laughs> the poster. That's, uh, I'll be curious, so I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. I'll be curious when I mean, to see I'm, this
0: Super Bowl trailer, how much Batman is in it, and how much Flash is in it.
1: I think I think that'll be a teller. I'm also, I'm also interested in You know, I wonder is it, you know, I said it in the chat in our our store chat, you know, is it a case of as a result of the the, the personal professional problems, uh, criminal problems that that have uh, plagued uh, Miller over the past few years? Uh, is it a case of someone as a yeah, has, has Michael Keaton quietly be called back in to shoot some more scenes? Just uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I, wouldn't, I and I will be looking forward to seeing Michael Keaton. I have to say, I know you won't be. I will be. Yeah, um, yeah I, mean, but, I mean, I uh, don't,
0: I don't dislike Keaton in the role. It's
1: just, it's not a pull for me the way it would be if, say, Christian yes, Beale was absolutely. in this movie, for example. For sure, for sure, yes, for sure. Certainly. Um, your uh, obviously your 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 cinema trippage has. Uh, it's taken a wee bit of a nosedive since you became a daddy. Um it has but fallen off a cliff. You're you <laughs> are you are intenting to get to see Ant Man and the Wasp Quantum Mini when it is released when in the next couple of weeks? Next week. Next weekend. Yeah, yeah, I
0: mean I think this is you know, just as we're talking about, we don't know whether Flash is an important movie or not. I think Ant Man's the opposite. I think Ant Man is a massive movie for the direction of the MCU because you're getting your first proper look at the next big bad. You know it's I think it's been sort of part of Marvel's problem with the the current slate of movies in that there's no clear big bad that they're aiming towards in the way that they did with Thanos. Thanos was expertly handled, teased throughout multiple movies, took their time over it, and the the payoff was worth the wait. Whereas with this, obviously you've seen Kang turn up in the Loki TV show in various guises. Uh, You've seen little snippets here and there, but... You know, you look at this slate of Marvel movies, whether it was Eternals, it was Black Widow, which was an origin type movie. You look at, you know, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which is a celebration of Chadwick Boseman and, and stuff like that. A Man of the Lost seems to be the first one to say, right, Kang is our main big bad here. And this is going to set up the Marvel, the MCU moving forward. So, well, uh, I, will, I think it's a very I will, important movie for Marvel. this.
1: I, I agree. I agree. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I will disagree uh, with you uh that they're they're setting up two things that are the same thing uh because kang and the multiverse are very much related Mm -hmm. uh, as we saw in loki uh so we had that introduction in loki we had the introduction of the the multiverse we've had spider-man which was all multiversal very much so we've had doctor strange which was all multiversal very much so so i you know i think i think they are definitely moving towards a thing but we're we're early doors yet and i think this will be that that critical. I mean, was was Guardians of the Galaxy the first time we really saw Thanos properly? Uh, I think it was the Avengers, was it not?
0: When the well, no, we saw him. The,
1: well, we, yeah, we he saw. He was like, "I'll yeah, do it myself." Him. Yeah. No, he yeah, was in Avengers because well, your
0: Loki went up to Thanos and was speaking to him and saying, "I can do it for you." He, he did. Yeah,
1: but we've seen. I, I think you know that that Avengers appearance with Thanos is equivalent to the to the the the, the looky appearance of Kang or mm-hmm. or in fact Immortus or whoever that individual whichever iteration of Kang that individual was. I think then I think Guardians of the Galaxy we saw a fair bit of we saw a fair bit of Thanos. Uh so we did with a with a fight at the end and the, the Thanos ship and all that sort of stuff. If I recall, I think this will be the, the equivalent of that, the I'm here and I'm I'm here and I'm I'm large and in charge sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah but I, I do I, I I would disagree with the uh, with the criticism that uh, we're not moving towards a thing uh, it's just we've got two different prongs that are moving in the same direction
0: well, it's not necessarily criticism I think it's just a case of they executed those first 10 years so perfectly and mm. you went so massive with it and it's sort of like right we've done this absolutely amazing job critically lauded made tons of money it was expertly delivered. Oh, crap, where do we go from here a little bit? And therefore you had like... And it's not a criticism at all, but it's like, you know, Black Widow, oh, let's do a movie set in the past with her so we don't need to worry about the future. We've got the Eternals. We're trying, trying to establish these new characters. Apparently there's a god buried in the earth, but let's just ignore that. Um, there, There's just... There's not the same... But again, maybe it's... Maybe we're just spoiled now because it was so expertly delivered at the end. Maybe we didn't think... like. The first movies, what they had going for them though, was we knew they were building towards the Avengers. So you had Iron Man. At the end of Iron Man, there's Nick Fury. I've got a project. End of Hulk. Oh, I hear you've got a problem. There's Iron Man. The end of Captain America. Oh, you're in New York, son. You're no longer back in World War II. So it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they had they you. had yeah. a a through line, which I don't think these movies necessarily. There's there's definitely snippets, as you say, multiverse of madness yeah. and mm-hmm. and Loki and. And that that kind of thing, but I think this is the first movie that's firmly going to say, lay the cards on the table. This is the direction we're going in. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm I mean. I'm, so,
1: thorough, I'm yeah, thoroughly looking forward to it. I'm thoroughly looking forward to to seeing Jonathan Majors chew scenery. Uh, you know, in a, in a very very good way. Uh, on the DC side, we've got, or maybe the Elseworlds side. We're not sure. I can't remember. DC uh, Shazam. It's
0: still DC, yes. DC
1: Elseworlds. Uh, Fury of the Gods, Shazam too. Yeah. first one was, was great fun
0: yeah very much so we were fortunate enough I remember seeing Shazam back at like a preview um, back in a pre-lockdown world uh, when we'd sort uh-huh. of set up relationships with the movie house and we were seeing some movies and previews and stuff like that I loved the first Shazam, full of heart the effects creaked a little bit in places. It didn't quite have the budget of a Batman v Superman or a Aquaman mm-hmm. or that kind of thing. But the charm, the performances in the story more than carried that through. So I think for Fear of the Gods, the uh, budget's a little bit bigger. So that's always a, mm-hmm. a good sign. And the, the one thing that does interest me, though, is that the villains in it are created specifically for the movie. They're not drawn from the mm-hmm. comics, which I find interesting when you've right. got mm-hmm. decades and decades of villains to pull from. You're like, no, yeah, let's yeah. just, let's just do something different. BS Shazam has always felt slightly removed from the DC universe anyway. Like they never yeah, mentioned yeah. Shazam in any other movie and black Adam. I watched recently, I enjoyed black Adam, but it was very disposable. I thought it was fun, but it was disposable.
1: Yeah. Um, the, the, the CGA computer game that uh, finished it off. Wasn't so,
0: it was just forgettable. It was, enjoyable. Like it, was it was imaginative in places, yeah. but it was a movie that took nearly a decade to get made. Um,
1: Mm-hmm. And I don't even think they mentioned but Shazam.
0: Bit of, of a vanity. They didn't even really mention Shazam in and it. Rock, they, the The Rock was yeah. more worried about getting Henry Cavill into the movie and thinking he was bigger than the studio. <laughs> and then all these fans online turn on James Gunn, even though it was The Rock's vanity, that led to Henry Cavill getting excited and going like, oh, I'm back. Oh, wait, no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> but all that aside, I'm looking forward to Shazam, Fear the Gods. Again, I hope to catch it in the cinema um thankfully alfie's growing a little bit more now he's around seven months old so he's i think he's a little easier to babysit for for the folks um and
1: they're always happy to do it that's good that you have the yeah that's that's very good that you have to to do that i trust you have you have not seen avatar 2 that's three hours is probably a little bit much for the for the new parents
0: i mean the next the next two things are all you um as i say the only thing i've watched on tv recently is probably something you have not watched and it's uh, a Netflix documentary called The Last Dance, which is all about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan's oh, last season. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, really yeah, good. I mean, not... it, it, you can watch it in the background. It's not like, like you're going to talk a little bit here about The Last of Us, for example. I assume The Last of Us is something you've got to pay full attention to, getting grossed in that world. You know, mm-hmm. you set your phone down, you, you take away any distractions. You know, The Last Dance is easy to have on in the background and enjoy, but still sort of take Care of the wee man, yeah. No, it's that.
1: actually actually you say that it's uh it's not something I've, I've watched, it's, it's been on my Netflix list for a wee while not least because I did I did see the Chicago Bulls live a couple of times. Oh, nice. Whenever I lived in Chicago in 1999 uh, at the, well, the Union Center, episodes
0: into it. it's really really yeah. engaging it's so, really well yeah. told and really well produced. So, yeah. I would recommend yeah. that. But you take the floor now, sir, for some of your favorite things of the last few weeks.
1: Well, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, Avatar 2 The Way of Water, despite uh not anticipating. Uh, really enjoying it. I mean, it was it was well over three hours. Myself and Bruno went to cinema to see it. Uh, we'd watched Avatar, the first one, uh, prior to it because I haven't seen it since it came out. I think. Uh, I think I own it in DVD. I don't know if I've ever. I don't, and that DVD may still be in the plastic. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it is it's just a fantastic uh, it's just a fantastic uh, movie. Uh, it really is. That's um, yeah, just a great, great concept. Um, great cast. Uh, this the, the the visual effects are another level. I mean, they are the visual effects made anything that you're seeing in in a Marvel or DC movie at the minute look a wee bit sort of
0: second rate, almost.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean as i say i wasn't i wasn't looking forward to this but uh we've said it you know it's it's always a bad idea to bet against james cameron because every time he releases a movie it becomes the most gruesome movie of all time and uh this this is this yeah he he pushes the envelope he creates new technology in order to facilitate him telling his story and i mean the the the, the motion capture was another level like having watched having watched avatar and then watching avatar 2 like a week or two afterwards it is just it is just something else um the you know the navi the big the big blue boys you know actually looked like the actors that were playing them you could they felt you know textually like textually like like real real things you know you could mm-hmm. feel the weight of them and and it was it was really cool you had them very much alongside um Real actors. There was a a kid in there, like a thirteen or fourteen year old kid that was grown up alongside the Navi kids, and um, it was just it was something else. Uh they've got a really great um a really great device for getting Sigourney Weaver back in there as a as an actor as a character. Uh and uh, and what do you call him? Uh what do you call the the actor that uh, was the kind of the bad guy and? Uh, oh, he played the. Yeah, yeah um, I know who you mean. Yeah, yeah. Stephen Lang, Stephen Lang, uh, the man who should have been Cable, uh, as I as I also refer to him as. Uh, you know, he they've got a great device for getting him back in. It's just a really, really imaginative movie. Um, the, and I mean, you you and I, bingo cards out. You know, world building. This there's there, there's very few movies that world build like like this has. Uh, it's got me genuinely excited for the third one which i believe was filmed back to back with avatar 2 um, and 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 what's to come after that um, i actually listened to smartless the 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 uh, the podcast that you and i have both listened to mm-hmm. in occasion the interview podcast um, had uh, had James cameron interviewed uh, fairly recently and he was talking about uh, going through the shots of avatar avatar 3 and uh, and that so yeah I'm really excited for what's to, what's to come but I if I were you, I would if you get a chance definitely get a look at it. I think you'll enjoy it.
0: Yeah, as you say, it's just it's setting aside that time, it's not just the three hours of the movie, it's your your time to get to the cinema, your time to get home from the cinema, you're you're talking four hours, it's uh you know, I'm no longer my young free I'm I'm no longer young, I'm no longer free, I'm not careful. You know, you can take all of those away, you know. It used to just be <laughs> drop of a hack booster at the cinema. You know. But no longer any of those things uh, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> well, you don't have to go to the cinema to watch The Last of Us. Uh have you played the game? I have not.
0: I, I've always been an Xbox guy, so okay. I know it's a Sony exclusive. So. Right, okay.
1: Yeah, you need to yeah, you need to change that. Um great game, brilliant game, post-apocalyptic, uh, zombie style, but uh fungally fungly uh fungly created uh zombie types. Um a really fantastic story. Uh main character is a character called Joel, uh in a post-apocalyptic environment. He is tasked with escorting Ellie a little girl who is immune to the fungal infection that creates the, the really creepy zombie things uh, to escort her across the country in order that uh, she can aid in the development of a vaccine, thereby saving the human race. The game had me making decisions by the end of it that were not for the good of the human race, I can tell you that much. Um, the movie, the sorry, the TV series seems to be a really... Solid adaptation, uh, starring of course uh, genre favorite Pedro Pascal. Um, Pedro Pedro Pascal is that Pedro right? Pascal, that's, that's, that's the a, word, isn't it? That is
0: not um,
1: it The wee girl, uh, wee girl who was in Game of Thrones, I believe, is playing Ellie. Initially, physically seemed like a strange choice, but now episode four episodes in, and she is absolutely Ellie in attitude at least. Um, it's a very very good, uh, very very good series. Uh, episode three was much lauded, included uh, Parks and Rec uh, alumni, Nick Offerman, uh, playing a fantastic role, uh, really expanded, I think, from the game, and a real heart wrench and tearjerker of an episode for a post-apocalyptic show. Um, so I know you're a little maybe a little bit out in post-apocalyptic stuff, but if you get a chance, watch this show, you will not regret it.
0: Yeah, I've heard nothing but amazing stuff regarding it, as I say, it's just when when your free times a little bit more at a premium, you just wanna watch maybe more happy, more upbeat type stuff and uh the last of us, I'm not sure fits that quota, but it the last of us to me looks like something like maybe Chernobyl in that it's not gonna be uplifting, it's not gonna be life affirming, <sighs> but it's so brilliantly made and so engaging. That you love it to a degree if you know what i mean but it's, no i don't know it's,
1: i would say it doesn't it doesn't have the same weight as chernobyl yeah uh there there's a there, there's quite a lot of there are there are moments in it that are brought on by the interaction between uh joel and ellie um that are fairly lighthearted and funny um but yeah, it's 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 just it's just good programming. It's yeah. just good programming, oh, uh, you know. So, yeah, so absolutely, there we are. So, uh, anything else in the store? You've been remodelling. Yeah, uh, you've a little more uh, stocking incoming, You're 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 splitting your Marvel and your DC. Um, I hear you had a I hear you had a big. Uh, a significant surprise came out of the store last week. Yeah, I, mean, nice?
0: I can only talk about this now because it's been sent, so it's no longer in store for any, uh, you know, cat burglars or jewel thieves of the night <laughs> to, you know, come in through the ceiling. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously, for the last few years, we've offered CGC services. You know, we facilitate uh, the sending off of books, get them graded for people. Um, for some people, it's about preserving a treasured issue they have. For some, it's about speculation and selling on. There's there's different reasons for, for CGC and all the rest, which is, um, you know, all good. But, yeah, I mean, we, we've had some pretty big books come through. We've had some early Amazing Spider-Man come through, you know, first appearances of villains and that. We've had some um, early Fantastic Four stuff come through. We've had some early Batman and Superman stuff come through. But I think definitely the biggest book that we have handled so far came in and what was really really life affirming about it was that it was someone who had owned it since the week it came out and they just finally decided they were going to get it. Wow. it's not one of these it's had 50 owners it's traveled the world it's moved from collection to collection well in fairness it has traveled the world because he used to live in new york but now he lives over here but okay. uh there is that but no he, he brought it in i had to take a photo of it i had to share it in our group chat i had to send it to vicky first because this is her grail book you know, vicky as anyone knows is, is a huge wolverine fan she has wolverine volume since volume one issue one she has it all from there until modern day she has statues she has all kinds of stuff but the one thing she does not have is that first appearance which of course is in uh, incredible hulk 181 and that was what was brought into the store the other day and it was a lovely clean copy the colors were good um there there was some wear and tear you'd expect through through the years, you know, little corner scuffs and some spine ticks and stuff like that. But it presents really, really well. But it's the first book that's been brought in that I've I've literally sat there and went, Do I even want to take this responsibility on <laughs> and send it? Yes, away? okay. Uh-huh. You know? so suffice to say it's fully insured if any if it gets lost in the post magically i will be fully reimbursed for and you know take care of it that way but yeah just seeing books like that come in is an absolute pleasure i mean you're literally holding history in your hands it's it's all well and good to see cool facsimiles and to see epic collections and reprints and stuff like that but an actual first issue there or an actual you know first printing of that issue just brought in you know the hands were shaking just a little bit just wanted to lift it up you know so yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was a big one. That was a big one. I think his first yeah. words were, "Who do I have to kill to get my hands on that?" So
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, uh, you didn't tell me. Um, yeah, Hulk one eight one. I mean, for 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 the reason, of course, Wolverine's first true appearance. Um, an absolute, an absolute beautiful, beautiful book. Um, it
0: doesn't read very I... well. It doesn't read very well. I read the facsimile not that long ago, and it's. Oh, it's so janky, it's unreal, but it's uh but it's obviously yeah, it's like I said to the guy when he was dropping in, like I would probably put that in the top ten Marvel books of all time, maybe even top five. You know, you're talking Avengers number one, you're talking um Jansai's X-Men number one, you're talking Amazing Fantasy fifteen, you're talking Fantastic Four number one. You know, one like like that is up there because Wolverine has proven such a popular character, obviously immortalized by Hugh Jackman over two decades. Um, that's a book that is never going to go down in value, and mm. uh, it's still a somewhat achievable big Marvel book. You know, you're talking a few grand for it, as opposed to getting into the tens and twenties of thousands for you know Amazing Fantasy fifteen and you know stuff like that. Well, I
1: mean the uh, the there there are records of I think the highest sale of this book was. The equivalent of about twenty grand, about twenty three thousand, twenty three thousand dollars.
0: And that all comes down to what gradings for. Yeah. You know, you could yeah, have a yeah. near mint copy that is nine point eight, but it's not graded. It's not going to sell for twenty grand. But yeah, if yeah, it's secure and it's been authenticated and graded. It will fetch that kind of money, you know. So yeah. I don't know if his plan is to retire uh, quite yet, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, and uh, no, that uh, was uh, Len Wayne and Herb Trump, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah. You know, so it's, perfect yeah, good beautiful
0: stuff book. beautiful book
1: um, great and yeah. Um, yeah other thing worth mentioning we did our previous podcast for may february, april may? releases
0: for our february book for april releases
1: for april releases uh, just last week so you can find that a little bit down the uh down the, the podcast list on uh, on spotify and whatever whatever uh device or platform you're using to listen to us anyway you want to talk some? Uh, you want to talk some comic books?
0: I think we can do that. I think we can do that. We are, of course, dealing with January releases here now. If you if you are a, a keen follower of ours and you do listen to all the pods, you'll notice that we have skipped December now. We're we're not so much skipping it in that we did our obviously best of year show, which incorporated everything from the previous year. So it just to me it felt a bit weird to go back and then do a December show. Yeah and cover titles that we may have already covered in the best of 2022 but you know the best of 22 first of all is is really worth listening to that was a really good fun one that we did but well, uh good, Craig. Yeah. Keith, keith does have a quick december overview though that he wants to share with everyone because yeah we, 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 just to bridge the gap we, we still want yeah. to sh- we still want to throw some love towards the december releases I suppose there were
1: so. there were some good things some good stuff in, in december and uh you know before we push on to uh, To 2023, I think it is worth mentioning some of those great titles that started or continued in December. Some of them finished, actually. Um, I would say, and uh, feel free to disagree with me, Alan, that uh, some of the highlights for myself were the kickoff of Gargoyles from Dynamite from the uh, series' original creator, Greg Weissman. Uh, We had the finale, the big damn finale, which uh, means something to Firefly fans uh, of all new Firefly uh the it was a it was a heart-wrenching big damn finale from series writer david m boer uh and we also had the start of the new iron man series jerry dugan which is an by jerry dugan which is a series you're on isn't it
0: which series sorry big part
1: the the iron man series by yeah, Jerry dugan.
0: believe it or not i'm reading the iron man book do not adjust your yeah. earphones i am reading an iron man <laughs> book and i'm two issues in and i'm even enjoying it
1: yeah and that so that kicked off in december following from Kentwell seminal run one of my favorite fantasy novel series got uh, the beginning of an adaption from Dark Horse with Assassin's Apprentice. Absolutely great story, if you're familiar with it. Uh, December also saw the finale of jean Lun Yang's Fantastic Run on Shang-Chi, which brought the MCU version of the Ten Rings as opposed to the, the Mandarin's rings that were... Uh, we're familiar with in the in the, in the comic universe uh, brought the, the 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 ten rings of the mcu into the comic universe and was a great series of arcs and included one that was very much a tribute to uh, bruce lee's classic movie uh, game of death we had timeless one from jed mckay it was a one-shot teasing what's to come in 2023 in the marvel universe that was also standout as was uh the end of uh Philip Kennedy Johnson's current arc on Action Comics with 10.50 uh, and then the beginning of his New York in 10.51. Strange Academy Finals is uh, is starting to wrap up at its penultimate issue in December. Uh, that's been a great story from Scotty Young uh, and the the, the the Finals series has been great too. And then James Tinian finished off uh, Nice House on the Lake, which was uh, somewhat controversial in this parish I believe
0: controversial of course in that it wound me up um yeah i mean i think part of it was because i, I think back to back i read the end of two 12 issue mini series so one was nice house in the lake one was dc versus vampires and it's strange that the same person was involved in both um mm. but yeah no with james tinney nice house in the lake was a phenomenal book i'm not taking it away from that because it is a brilliant book and it is a book i will go back to in years to come but I just think that if you're promised a 12 issue miniseries with such an intriguing um, plot with so many moving parts, such intriguing characters, I don't like that it gets a definitive ending, but then a. But wait, there may be more. Uh, DC vs. Vampires did the exact same thing. Uh, again, it was a 12 ish DC vs. Vampires was maybe more guilty of it than Nice House because DC vs. Vampires had. Twelve issues, a six issue mini series that was an offshoot of it, and multiple one shots as well. So it was nearly twenty issues.
1: And again, I think finished... Deceased did the same, didn't
0: it? Yeah, I mean Deceased though has always continued. Deceased wasn't announced as a six issue mini, you know what I mean? It was
1: Is it is it that you were hoping that given the nature of nice house that it would wrap up the mystery neatly for you and it didn't
0: I don't I don't need nice neat and t- tidy with a bow on top mm. but I also don't need a thank you for supporting us through this 12 issue maxi series there's going to be more uh you know it sounds a strange complaint because it's such a great t- title that ah. maybe have a more of it's not a bad thing but I don't know there for me there's a place for brilliantly told finite stories not everything has to have a follow up to it if you know what I mean like one of the reasons I love, for example, Sheriff of Babylon or um, what was the other one I was thinking of off the top of my head? Um, Mr. Miracle. And I know they're both talking yeah. books, but they're just an example I'm using of like a 12 issue. Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. You know, that's a that's a compressed, definitive yeah. 20 No,
1: no. again, I'm not sure where we ever promised that it was going to be a we, done on one or is, or is that something that we...
0: If, well, it, if it had been know, just issue one, yeah, I don't says, know. I feel yeah. If it says one of twelve, know. I think that's twelve chapters of a book
1: to me. But, well, sometimes, sometimes things say one of six and then become one-gone series, and sometimes things say one of, well, you know, it, maybe so, part of
0: it was the, the the release schedule was really all over the place as well. The book slipped a few times, and you thought hmm. maybe they were just polishing the ending. Something like Once in Future, for example, because it, it's an example of what you're talking about. You know, release this is going to be one of mm-hmm. six as well, but that didn't skip a beat. That book, that that was released as regular as clockwork, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I don't know. It's, I just I don't find it. I don't find it satisfying as a conclusion. Yeah, fair, fair. When fair, you're promised fair. a story that's going to be this length, it's like watching a two hour movie and then at the end they go, "But there might be more," and then you have to wait three years for the next movie. I think it's just because of the volume of comics we read. I just like it. If it's yes, a maxi series yes. or mini series, I like a definitive ending. I guess,
1: I guess, I guess the question is the question I was going to ask is: where we promised it, or did we convince ourselves that it was the case?
0: I just it felt like a, even the storyline of it felt like a finite thing to me. It was like a yeah, end yeah. of the world story. You have these strangers; they don't know why they're there. They work out while they're there. They work out what's happening outside of this house. The the twisted elements of it you know you you went into Walter's side of things and I don't know it just for me it not every story warrants continuation if that makes sense you know like fair fair like why the last man is yeah. my favourite comic of all time but I don't want to see them announce we're bringing it back and there's going to be another 30 issues it's, <laughs> it's the perfect length you know what I mean yeah, yeah.
1: So. so as I said dear listener somewhat controversially in this parish <laughs> uh, anyway <laughs> I sound like a real moaner uh, sometimes. <laughs> no, not at all. Not <laughs> at all. I, I did, I did solicit your opinion. Um, Tennyon also finished off the latest arc on his word building fantasy, Wind, uh, in addition to a really interesting source book released for his something as killing the children slash House of Slaughter universe in the, the Book of Slaughter, which went into the. Uh, the structures and structure of the Order of Saint George and the various houses that uh, one of which, Eric Slaughter, our hero, when something is killing the children, belongs to. It was a very, very cool book. Did you read it?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Anything good that, fun.
0: Anything that sort of fle- fleshes that world out, I'm, I'm all over. death. Yeah, thinking.
1: very, very cool. Anyway, uh, some of the some of the good and the great uh, in in December. Uh, so moving on to uh, the order of the day, January.
0: Yeah, I mean January I mean Keith and I have chatted before in, in previous pods. We're trying to trim little bits of pieces of the fat, so to speak, of the pull list that we, we certainly get. You know, not just sticking with series for the heck of it, for example. Um, that kind of thing. And and I think my numbers came down a little bit this month. My numbers are less than yours.
1: Yes, I know. Uh I think there's a reason for that. But I think what are those numbers? That? It's called X Men. <laughs> well, well That's the reason you know, I that. although you could say the same I thing also, to say Batman. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't get everything with Batman in it, you know. So, so, yeah, anyway, uh, what were your numbers for for January so,
0: yeah, so January had four release weeks, so it did there was um there was a fifth that the comic company sort of treated as, but it was actually the first of February as opposed to the end of January, so mm. four release weeks, so my totals add nineteen one week, twenty one another week, twenty two another, and then nineteen to finish off, so a very respectable eighty one titles, uh, which would still bring me to nearly a thousand
1: comics a year, uh How <laughs> um, are you. I had hoped, as I said, to to get things down. Uh, didn't quite manage it. I had three consecutive weeks with twenty four books, and uh, the final week of sixteen for a grand total of eighty eight books, exceeding your good self this month by seven. Not pleased about that. That is not triumphalism. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but things have things have changed uh, a little bit in February. I hope. Um, yeah. Yeah, and how did uh, how did January look generally?
0: Yeah, there was lots of good stuff, lots of continuations of uh, titles. There was a couple of the the Batman One Bad Day volumes came out in the same month. That's a title I'm very mm. much enjoying, and you may hear more from that later on. We had, you know, Big Image series coming back, which again we'll talk about a little more. We had Celebration for. DC's best title, a celebratory issue. We've got a few things coming to an end as well in January, so similar to yourself, it's when I look at miniseries coming to an end, it's, it's sometimes not a bad thing, so maybe trims those numbers a little bit, but at the same time opens up if you want to jump on something new, at least it's you're just replacing one for one rather than one's ending and i'm adding five sort of thing yeah so, exactly there's plenty of good stuff in general you know lots of continuations mm. of, of great titles you know batman was adarski is very strong i thought it, it kicked off with a new story arc with bruce transported to another version of gotham which i've been really enjoying um you have uh, action comics you know obviously having a big launch again with uh, the new sort of run with 1051 coming out great jumping on point for people there Action yeah, yeah you jumped on that. Yep. Yeah, I read the first issue, you know, and enjoyed it, it was nice sort of jumping on point mm-hmm. as I say. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that yep. for me, Marvel's best books, because my Picks of the Month don't include any Marvel, but that's not a detriment to their quality because they actually have a lot of great stuff at the moment. Yeah. Um, but yep. sometimes I want to maybe highlight other titles maybe we don't talk about so much. But for me, yeah, great. for me, Marvel's best titles at the moment. I was chatting to Martin about this actually in store today. And for oh, yeah. me, the best Marvel titles are all the street level titles. I love Daredevil at the moment. I love yeah. Punisher at the moment, which admittedly is going a bit operatic and a bit grander than normal. But for me, it's still street level stuff.
1: And um, it's funny because those two, those two titles, are sort of crossing over. Yeah, uh, a little not officially, but yeah,
0: yeah, very much. So you know, those characters are jumping in the out of each other's books. I'm loving um, Ghost Rider which obviously again is very supernatural but there's a lot of it is all about being on the road you know what i mean there's a,
1: you're uh, you know back in back in the, the the 90s and the early 2000s you would have been called a marvel knights guy
0: yeah very much so because the last one yeah, yeah, I would, yeah, yeah. would be moon knight so yeah <laughs> those are more like i'm not a big avengers guy i don't really read avengers books yeah yeah i'm yeah, loving yeah. the cap stuff at the moment as well of course yeah. um i'm i'm really enjoying being back on spidey uh, which you know J R J R brought me back to that yeah yeah but i'm i i struggle with x-men i just think it's so big and yeah, fair, grand fair. but see that street I mean, level did, marvel did. stuff fantastic
1: yeah 100 i agree with you i mean midnight Rider. you're picking you know two of the best books around daredevil punisher as well uh again zadarsky jason Aaron, uh also also fantastic and i can't argue with you about uh about spider-man of course uh, because i'm right there um i mean january was a pretty big month for me as we have been trying i have been trying to get my pull list down uh, uh and i seem to have managed that in february but with three months of you know 20 plus books uh, i didn't manage it in january It's sometimes a funny month because you get those those christmas holdover books sometimes you know all that kind of stuff yes, you know stuff that
0: delayed shipping and stuff That kind of thing.
1: yeah all that or stuff whether if there's a release day between christmas mm-hmm. and new year whatever um there didn't seem to be too many number ones rising to the surface for me in January. Mosley number one, which was the the Man versus Tech tale from from uh farmhand creator uh and chew artist Rob yeah, Rob Guillory. Book. Uh, yeah, number yeah, two is that. Really, yeah, absolutely. It, it was up there and we had the 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 kickoff of uh Sins of Sinister, which is the Kieran Gillen penned um X-Men uh I guess mini series uh, alongside, you know, Al Ewing and Cy Spurrier. Uh so Sense of Sinister was like the alpha issue of that miniseries. It then takes up three three issue mini-series that are replacing existing X series uh and before ending in an in a mega type issue. Um there were a couple of endings, Sword of Azrael from Dan Waters turned out to be absolutely bloody fantastic. Yeah, Did you read that? A good, book, good book. Yeah, it was great. And uh Paul Tobin's Calculated Man. Came to an end. Yeah, it was good. That well, was it was another, only yeah. Four issues.
0: Random number for a series, but four issues. Yeah, four issues.
1: But yeah, it, did, I like it, it told the story, yeah. It was great. I mean it was very, very tongue in cheek. Uh definitely two books, uh, sort of Asriel and uh, The Calculated Man that I would I would grab on on trade. Jed McKay's Strange came to an end with a return of Stephen Strange after a few years in the realm of death. Um and I hope Clea, his his wife, and the the strange of that series. I hope she hangs around whenever McKay relaunches the the series as Doctor Strange in a few months. Uh, Continuations of Philadelphia, I mean that was, 27 was really dense. So many points of view, including that of a former first US president, George Washington. That's uh, an unbelievable book, an incredibly strong message. And a, and a great medium for delivering it, you know, with uh with Rodney Barnes uh, sort of at the helm. And, I mean, that series definitely feels like it's coming to some sort of a head, doesn't
0: it? Yeah, you, you kind of get the feeling it's went that big now that there's not, like, if this conflict is resolved, where do you go that is bigger again, you know? So, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I know we've talked about there to. being other offshoots in the Philadelphia world, obviously you got Nita Hall's Nightmare Blog, for example, and other things. So, yeah, I I kind of wonder if Philadelphia will wind up around 30, but I could be wrong,
1: but mm. I yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I'm reading I'm reading Sandman at the moment in the in the great uh, four volume trade paperbacks. And I would definitely describe the gods that appear in Philadelphia as sort of almost like Gaiman writes mm-hmm. writes his gods or his the Eternals. You know what I mean? That in the in the best possible way. Uh, you said Punisher, bloody fantastic. Sentinel of Liberty, uh, Daredevil, and then we've got uh, Declan Shelby over with the with, uh, New York on Time Before Time which is great set in the far, far past futuristic, futuristic society in the far, far past. <laughs> and then there was a great issue of old dog. Number three set in Russia. Yeah. Was, I think that was the best was, episode of that series so far
0: as well. Yeah, it was, it was close yeah. to making picks of the month for me.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Another one for that was uh, Immortal X-Men from Karen Gillen, which you, you were talking about X-Books, but I think that continues to be maybe the, the best X-Book that, that not enough people are reading. Um, and that leads directly into number ten. Leads directly into sense of sinister. I would say number ten was probably the best issue of that book so far. So again, very very close to the to the top picks. But speaking of the top picks for January, you wanna do you wanna set us off?
0: Well, we're gonna kick things off. And it's interesting that you said that there weren't a lot of number ones in your pile because I look over our picks of the month, and there's only one number one in it. And even then, that number one is book six in a series of one shots so it, yeah, it's, it's interesting yeah. so this this might be a unique unique pod in a way guys because we're, we're talking about books that are are, are hitting their stride a bit or old, deep yeah. into their runs or that kind of thing but yeah these were the books that definitely stood out the most this month for us um five books each for me i've got three dc and two indie um as I say, tons of great Marvel stuff, so it's not in any way a, a slight on them. It's just these were the books that the cop man I wanted to talk about. So the first one is going to surprise precisely no one whatsoever. <laughs> and if you listen to our best of 20... In fact, scratch if you listen to our best of 2022. If you listen to any of our review podcasts in the last two to three years, you may have heard us talk about a little title called Nightwing. And issue 100 <laughs> was in January. And this is just like tom taylor just has this innate ability to do one to do almost a one-shot issue in that it's self-contained but it's also part of a larger narrative it is it's an issue that's payoff for a lot of stuff that's been building but it also somehow um addresses truths in the dc universe for decades It, it it moves on character beats it has great relationship moments it uh, this book was just an absolute joy because it also showed respect to the past with guest artists involved who have been important down the uh, down mm-hmm. the years for Nightwing as well, oh, yeah, and they that, integrated uh, them in in a really cool way. I thought,
1: yeah, that series of uh, series of four pinups uh, that sort of uh, the the there was an image of a full page image of, of of Nightwing sort of leaping leaping from a building or running across the roof of a building and leaping from the building, and then the next sort of three pages where different interpretations of, of Nightwing at different points in that run or jump. Yeah. Uh, but, but in his, in his, in a sequence of costumes, uh, you know, as, as the seventies, eighties and nineties or eighties, nineties and two thousands Nightwing, uh, you know, from the, yeah, from different eras. It was just really cool. Those, those, those pinups were very, very cool. Whatever you said addresses truths of the DC universe. What do you mean? What were you referring to?
0: I am referring to the very end of it were, uh, Dick says, I love you, Dad, to Bruce Wayne, which yeah. just had me in bits. Um, oh,
1: yeah, absolutely, did. But absolutely I'm getting ahead of myself
0: I'm getting ahead of myself. But, yeah, no, so the, the, the crux of the issue was essentially, so as I say, you've got these um, artists involved who were, you know, legacy artists for for Nightwing, artists like Eddie Barrows, Scott McDaniel, Rick Leonardi, Javier Fernandez, as Keith said, doing these cool one-page pinups, even throwing in the much-hated red Nightwing symbol from the new 52 run. Which I never had a problem with; didn't really bother me. Is
1: it much hated? A lot
0: of people hate that they're like Nightwing's blue and black. Really? What is this red about? It's like oh, yeah, changing sure. Spider-Man from you know blue and red to gold and pink. It's wrong, anyway. But or you know,
1: blue and red to black? Yeah, well, <laughs> there's, there's,
0: there's an argument to be made there. But yeah, no, the the main crux of this issue is you know Heartless sort of making his big move. He's trying to suck up that power volume that has been left behind since Blockbusters out of the picture. And what was great about this issue? was well was everything but what was really cool about this issue was it just shows how well loved in the dc universe dick grayson is as a person Mm -hmm. you know batman obviously opens up from time to time bruce opens up from time to time and takes on wards and takes on partners but by and large bruce always sees and it's probably a fatal flaw of his but bruce always sees his war on terror as a soul journey this is my responsibility i have to do this I don't want to put anybody else in danger, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas Dick Grayson is like, hold on, I have friends who are aliens. I have friends who can morph into different animals. I have all these Titans friends. I have all these guys from the Justice League who like me. Oh, I have Superman on speed dial. Why don't I get him to help me out with this? Oh, what, I'll get Wonder Woman involved? Sure, I'll do that as well. You know, it's, it's, it's basically a book... Like, so many comic fans, I think, read comics and say there's something bad happening in Gotham. They're like, why doesn't Batman just call Superman? Why is he doing this on his own? This was a celebration of that, and it was, you know, basically Dick calling upon all these superheroes to help him. It led to great fights all over the place. It led to a fight with KG Beast, which, of course you know has some maybe mental implications for dick as well as he was the one who you know shot him in the spine and or it's not in the spine in oh, yeah, shot yes. him in the forehead yeah. and he had all that memory yeah. loss so that's a little bit of a thing but you have it was all... almost
1: it was almost like a like a uh, um rehabilitation arc for you know facing his fears really yeah. whenever whenever he was facing kg beast yeah and i think so I like that for sure
0: brilliantly handled art as ever by bruno redondo great fight sequence but you have all of this you know conflict within bloodhaven but this was a big book for setting up the future of the dc universe as well because after this book came out tom taylor announced obviously there's no justice league book at the moment with dc which which is strange it feels like there should be just like there should always be an avengers book but he made an announcement that he's going to be writing it nicholas scott's going to be doing the art and that is titans and that all comes from this because the Justice League is disbanded and Dick is asked in this you know you want me to like lead the Justice League and Wonder Woman's like no we think you're capable of more we want you to lead you know what you've done for Blood you can do for a bigger a, a bigger sort of mass of people so to speak but the main heart of the issue for me is the book ends of it it starts with Bruce and Dick at Alfred's grave and it pretty much ends with them at the same grave as well and it's probably the closest thing to therapy Bruce has had and I don't know how many years, but they actually have a proper conversation about what losing Alfred means to both of them, you know, and it literally does end with, you know, Bruce apologizing to Dick, you know, I'm sorry, you know, if I feel I'm sorry for every time I tried to push you away, and then you turn that page, you get this beautiful splash page of Dick just jumping at Bruce to give him a big hug. And by the end of it, it's like I love you, Dad. Yeah, I'm just welling up just talking about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a lovely, a lovely moment. It was interesting because you know we've been talking, uh, we've been talking a bunch of us on our chat recently about you know the nature of robins, uh, you know, and uh, and uh, people's favorite robins, and you know, when as uh, uh, newsletter mm. addressed it, not not because we were talking about it, just by coincidence, uh, he and he noted that he would. Cons- he heard us. Uh, he noted that he would consider Nightwing Dick Grayson t- to be more like a brother to Bruce. It's almost uh, like he's
0: uh, spitting in the face of what Tom Taylor said in this issue. Yeah, he he almost. It would be like he Chip, doesn't it? say bro, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so I don't know how I would, whether I would see whether I would see Dick Grayson as as more of a son of Bruce or or a, or a brother uh you know but uh but either either way i mean i would personally look at
0: him as son simply because bruce took him in at own, a young age yeah. and helped shape him into the man he helped raise him essentially you could argue oh. alfred did a lot of that raising of course as well
1: um and you could argue you could argue that 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 dick shaped bruce as much oh 100 oh they needed dick, each other know?
0: in that moment oh without a doubt you know yeah yeah awesome. so hence
1: hence 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 the brother motif rather yeah. than the the paternal thing but yeah it's really interesting such a good such a good uh good issue
0: yeah it's... um
1: there were there were there were a couple of stories in this weren't there there was three stories no no
0: no it was all just one big story the three stories was, was just one three. One, three. one three annual
1: you're thinking of was the three stories that's what it was yes absolutely yeah you're absolutely right yep yeah, yep yeah, yeah no yeah. this was just one so, no, I, I, yeah anyway. i love this yeah. and it does end yep.
0: with like a rebuilding project and it's basically the titans standing in front of what is going to be the new titans tower um. So yes, which yeah, is replacement
1: for the prison. Yeah, yeah. Which is very is exciting. So good. Things
0: coming forward. Tom Taylor's already yeah, said his long plans for Nightwing. So long may it continue.
1: Yeah, and and I mean the Titans again are my favorite DC super team. Uh, have been for a long time. So it's great to see them front and center. Uh, you know, replace well, standing in for the Justice League. Yeah, uh, like that. So yeah, very very cool, exciting to see what's what's coming there for sure. Cool.
0: Yeah, so Nightwing 100, my first pick of the month for January. Will we have a February uh, episode that doesn't involve Nightwing? Stay tuned to find out. Probably not. (laughs) So Nightwing 100, for me, what is your first pick of the month? Uh,
1: My first pick is from IDW Publishing. Uh, It is Star Trek number three, released on the 4th of January. Uh, Writers were uh, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing. I'm actually. I think I'm taking a bit of a tour through some of my favourite writers this month. Actually, uh, artist was uh, Joe Eisma, and uh, this is the third issue of what has uh, what has has proven to be a uh, Star Trek. Uh, you know, boldly going into the into the future of Star Trek comics. It really, really is a fantastic series. Um, everything, everything about this new Star Trek series is a a total love letter to the Star Trek franchise, which I'm again neck deep in. I have to say, I've just rewatched all of the Next Generation. I've just started season six of Deep Space Nine, and that really melds with this because uh, Benjamin Sisko is the captain in this particular Star Trek series, uh, having returned from the uh, the Celestial Temple uh, as the the the, prophecy, the 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 emissary of the prophets, and it it it, it picks it has picked various characters and and. And also concepts from the various series and franchise, Uh, you know, so that the crew consists of Benjamin Sisko. We've got Beverly Crusher from The Next Generation. We've got Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager. We've got uh, Data from The Next Generation. So there's a wharfs in there as well. Uh, So they've been picked from various points in their timelines. um, And it's just been, been moving together to become... Greater than the sum of its parts, and as I say, it really is a love letter from a, from from Kelly and Lansing, and it, it just works brilliantly as its own thing. Uh, if you're, I mean, if you are a Star Trek fan, I've never really invested in in the Star Trek comic books as such. I did over the past few years buy the the IDW uh, trade paperbacks, you know, of the of the Universe stuff that the the Tiptons did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and enjoyed them and that's maybe what led me here but this is the first time i have picked up a, a Star Trek series and I'm actually going to add a second series to that with Star Trek Defiant which is going to spin out of this but I mean you know that Star Trek has a has a huge history with with powerful beings uh, whether that be the squire of Gothos whether it be the crystalline entities or uh, whether it be you know all these beings that, that qualify as as gods uh, and the the crux of this story is that the that, that cisco has been um has been given the task by some of those beings the prophets of vajor uh, who live in the in the wormhole with a mission to stop someone who is who is committing homicide on all of these godlike beings across the universe and of course that being the case it's only a matter of time before a particular godlike entity uh Arrives at the party uh, that particular entity having a one single letter name, that, that letter being Q. Uh, so Q, uh, the uh, the often um, sparring partner of Captain Picard, uh, appears for the first time in our comic book. And uh, where 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 Qs show up, uh, Qs I don't know Alan if you're familiar, but Qs are kind of like Q is kind of like the Loki mm-hmm. of Star Trek. Uh, he is a god of mischief. He is. A trickster, he is mercurial, uh, and yet he is all powerful. Uh, you know, so he's uh, and <laughs> it's it's kind of funny because Q appeared an awful lot in the Next Generation, tortured Captain Picard from the from the the first episode of the Next Generation to the very final episode of the Next Generation, and throughout, uh, you know, we learned a little bit more about his race and so forth and so on. But uh, I think Benjamin Sisko. So in, in in Deep Space Nine, Q only appeared once. Cisco punched him in the face. <laughs> such is the uh, such is the difference in how captains relate uh, to these things. And uh, uh, and yeah, I think I think and Lansing have just have picked this up. They have, uh, you know, DS Nine was very different. It was the first of the Star Trek shows that sort of had story arcs. You know, had ongoing plots woven amongst the the uh, the standalone episodes and th- that's what these guys are are doing in this um, you know it just they, 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 it's picking up in the previous issue Q turns turns everything upside down uh, his usual antics uh, you know and we yeah it's just uh, it's very it's a very cool very cool uh, episode um, we have Q you know Q always has a a supposed reason for the for the situations that he puts the main characters in and in this case Q is testing Cisco and his crew to make sure they're the they're, they're the right ones to go to this particular member of the gods the god butchers as it were <laughs> you know and we're starting to find out a wee bit more about our crew uh we have we have a number of individuals as i say that we that we know uh on board here hear the likes of scotty and Worf and crusher and uh, and jack but there's there's other characters like talir that we know the vulcan uh the vulcan ensign who we know very little about and we're finding out that he is maybe not who he appears to be they're not who they appear to be um but yeah absolutely absolutely brilliant addition to to the franchise um that's now what 56 years old something along those lines um it's great to see all these characters appear and be used well uh, the the art is shared between uh, Ramon Rosanis who starts off and caps the issue, but it's definitely it's Joe Eisma who's who's all over this issue. And there's a there's a lightness to the art um, that he brings to the page. The characters are still who they appear to be. I mean, I've mentioned this before. It's like the the Firefly book. The characters were definitely looked like the characters they appeared to be. They talk like the characters who they appear to be. So it feels like it's 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 got weight um you know so uh, yeah i really really enjoying this really enjoying the series uh i feel like there's at a time whenever i am re-engaging with that, that particular fandom uh which is which will always be a fandom for me and always has been um it's just lovely to see something adding to it uh you know in this in this way uh yeah very 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 strong uh very strong uh series so far uh and great characters highly recommend uh you pick up the first uh, the first couple of issues and jump on this if you're a Star Trek fan.
0: Which, obviously, I am, unfortunately not. So it's, uh, <laughs> but it's good to hear Joe Eisenman's working on something. You're enjoying the artist. I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. He uh, he did a great series with Nick Spencer for Image Comics called Morning Glories, which was always described as Runaways Meet Lost. It was uh, a brilliant, brilliant series, which I'd highly recommend throwing yeah. on your back catalogue of stuff to read from the past.
1: So uh... <laughs> yeah, I've got a, I've got a few things. I mean, it's it's cool here as well. You know, they they've picked up on you know Jonathan Hickman's well, Hickman esque style of you know showcasing data in comics. You know, his his data pages, and uh, the series uses this. You know, with the the L cars format, and uh, you know, so we have a we have a, a personnel file in here from Talyer and a and a database page talking about the various dealings of Q on various starships it's just it's just it's just hitting the sweet spot
0: hitting the sweet spot nice nice so that is Star Trek 3 uh, Keith's first pick from uh, January for his picks of the month We move away from Star Trek and back to Gotham related, of course, because it's me, but this is the last mention of (laughs) a Bat-related title, I can assure you, this month. So, uh, yeah, I'd mentioned in the intro, you know, we were chatting about um, Batman One Bad Day. Of course, this is a a series of one-shots looking at the iconic uh, rogues gallery, doing one-shot sort of 64-page stories, the idea being that they were almost in the style of the killing joke, which, of course, is a, a classic Alan Moore, Brian Bolland, but... The, the, they've been varying quality so far. Some have been better than others. I mean, up to this point, you know, Mr. Freeze has probably been my favourite. We talked at length about the Riddler, of course, one of Keith's favourite uh, one shots from last year. Um, And in January, we actually got two. One was slightly delayed and came out later than it should have. That was Batman One Bad Day Catwoman, which was an interesting enough tale, but I personally didn't think it fully fit under the One Bad Day idea. But what definitely fell under the one bad day idea, and for me this is up there with the best of them so far, is Batman One Bad Day Being So you knew you were in for a good story straight away when you see Joshua Williamson's name on there. You also see his oh, frequent yeah. Flash collaborator artist, Howard Porter, uh, on board for this, and someone who Clay Mann describes as the best colorist in the world to make more on colours as well. So what was great about this one, I thought, was that it looked at iconic moments from all of Bane's life so essentially this kicks off with an older Bane he's washed up he's essentially a wrestler at this point which in itself appeals to me straight away but he's a wrestler reliving his glory days in the ring he basically you you wonder what the uh, the mental implications are of this but he basically beats up a different guy dressed as Batman every night and It's almost like it's an evolution of what's a finishing move in a wrestling match where you always go to see that person perform their finishing move. Well, for him, his finishing move is always grabbing the guy dressed up as Batman, breaking him across the back. So it's a bit like Nightfall, for example. But this is not a being an older being who's looking to like take over the world or take over Gotham or anything. If anything, this is a redemption story, which is why it's really, really interesting to me you know Bane basically discovers there's a new source of venom in the world someone basically brings one to him after the show going we can make you strong again you know here's some venom because it then goes into a story where Bane had essentially gone around all the venom deposits or anywhere it was produced in the world and destroyed them all because it essentially ruined his life it almost made him, made him a drug addict he was so dependent on it for feeling that par and feeling how he did physically so it almost becomes like a team up issue at some point with him and Batman you know in the past meeting up to almost be a new dynamic duo and destroy all this venom and all the rest but what's really cool about not it not necessarily
1: not necessarily an easy dynamic duo
0: very hard alliance for the simple reason that <laughs> what is cool about this book is that it pays respect to Bane's stories of the past so i've obviously mentioned nightfall it pays respect to tom King's run where of course Bean was responsible for killing alfred um, and leaving that huge hole in Bruce's life. So it's very much an uneasy alliance, and there's at least once or twice where Batman does think that he's made the wrong choice in being, you know, double-crossed by being, so to speak. But this is a really, really violent book as well. Like, there's some pretty disturbing dark imagery mm. through it. It very much falls under the the purview of DC Black Label, uh, in that it's definitely aimed at an older audience. But it was a really, really good book, and Again, Howard Porter is an artist who I, I can take or leave sometimes, but the art in this is one of the strongest things. It's got everything from beautiful double-page splice spreads where it introduces Bane in the wrestling ring and you see the Bane crowd. It's got um, pages divided up into 16, 18, 20 panels showing you know, a dynamic fight. Um, it's just a really, really great book. and. I do think it's up there with the best of the One Bad Day series so far. And it even left being in an interesting position where there's story threads that you could actually um, jump on. You, You could jump on because he's essentially going to teach someone. He's almost got a young ward himself. And he's talking about living in the light as opposed to living in the dark from before. So, as I said, it's kind of a redemption story as much as a rogues gallery villain story as well. So, yeah, just very, very highly recommended. This was um, this is possibly my favourite book of all of January. Uh, I've read it three times now, which in itself is a miracle with, again, the amount of stuff we read. But it, it's just draw me back and draw me back again. So I know you've been a bit more selective with the One Bad Day stuff. Was this one you picked up?
1: Uh, this is one I picked up um, by virtue of the Joshua Williamson-Howard Porter uh, collaboration. Uh, I was interested that, you know... I mean, obviously, Howard Porter, as you say, was a collaborator of Joshua Williamson's on the the Flash book, which is by its nature, the nature of its main character, a much lighter book. Um, So I was interested to see how well Howard Porter's art worked in this uh, darker uh, situation, as it were. Uh, But yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I did wonder how much of the initial wrestling match, you know, was in Bean's head Mm -hmm. and how much, you know, was in reality. Uh, But yeah, it was. uh, I mean, it must must have been a great, uh, great for you as a as a wrestling fan and a comic fan and a bat fan uh, for all that. I did enjoy the uneasy partnership between Batman and Bane and the the catalyst that the Venom played in that particular partnership and just the the constant, you know, how often Bane has defined himself by Batman. Yeah, uh, and now he's in a position of defining himself by you know himself i guess you know um yeah it was it was a really good really good issue i haven't been i mean you say selective i haven't been as selective <laughs> as, as i probably had hoped it would be i think i've maybe skipped one or two of these <laughs> but oh, riddler's so far, still up there
0: so, six so far so what did you skip i know you skipped catwoman did you skip any others or did there was two face there was... i skipped two face yeah i
1: skipped two face uh, i got penguin penguin so i got know. riddler
0: and freeze. So yeah, four out of six, so two yeah. thirds of them. If nothing else, yeah, that's
1: not too bad. That's not too bad. You know, yeah, great, great, very enjoyable, very enjoyable. Yeah. Um, cracking book, sure. and as I
0: say, possibly my favorite book of all of January. So Batman, one bad day being. So we have obviously talked in uh, honourable Mention, sort of introduction, that kind of thing about how many great Marvel titles there are, but we have not had any as a pick of the month. Well, that changes now. So why don't you hit us with a Marvel pick of the month?
1: Okay, yes, and it is my only. Marvel title uh, of of this uh of this particular round. Um and that is uh, Namor, the submariner, uh Conquered Shores uh, number four of five, which was released on the eighteenth of January. Uh writer is again one of my current favorites, uh Christopher Cantwell. Artist is a Marvel classic alumni, Pasqual Ferry. Uh, I've enjoyed his work since as far back as sort of the late 90s early 2000s uh, heroes for hire and quicksilver series and such uh, and obviously it's uh, it's from marvel um just one issue remaining of this mini series and it is absolutely on fire not just because the original uh, android human torch is in there um it's a really it's a fairly you know for a marvel book it's a it's a fairly complex story uh, involving uh, nemore uh, obviously, his name's in the title, but also we've got uh, we've got Luke Cage, we got Captain America, and uh, as I say, the the android, uh, Human Torch, uh, confronting you know their own backstories, their own histories, their own biases, their own mistakes, uh, but in the in the hope of coming together as a kind of you know we've got uh, obviously Namor, Captain America, and the Torch, where where the original invaders or parts of the original invaders, but Confronting all of those things in a way that will hopefully allow them to come together to move things forward to create a, a better tomorrow for for everyone, and by everyone we mean the the Atlantean people who are ascendant in the world uh, now as a result of environmental disasters and some nastiness that the Cree did that raised the water levels. Uh, we mean the uh, the remnants of humanity. Uh, sort of led by Luke Cage and Captain America, who now live in what little uh, little dry land there is left, and we're talking about very small spaces. Uh, and also we're trying to trying to work, you know, with with Namor, a much a much more calm Namor, who is no longer the king of Atlantis, uh, to try and bring them into under underwater uh, oxygenated areas where they can live. You know almost ghetto some would say and and the android people the robot people which uh, are led by the torch but we've got something fairly explosive happening uh, at the end of the issue that throws away all of that work all of that growth uh, and leaves a leaves a dramatic uh cliffhanger um you know as we move into the the final issue and it's just you know with all these superpowers you know, emotions are are still the most difficult thing to to master. Um, these these issues have been written with fantastic reverence for Marvel's oldest characters uh, on the part of Cantwell, and I mean, you saw how deep he got with uh, with the Blue Flame, Alan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know how deep he, he got into into the, the 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 emotive background and the the inner lives of of characters. So. So, yeah, this is I mean, he definitely takes that takes that learning, but it's a real it's a real tense. Real, you know, really tense, suspicious plot uh, that he's built over the coke, of these four issues, but but also links into the 80 years of history within Marvel and Atlas and timely comics. Um, as I say, we've got this dystopian future uh, signs of peace and protection, but conflict and war. Um, Yeah, I just, I just, I love, I mean, I'm a huge fan of anything that involves the original Marvel heroes, Captain America, uh, Jim Hammond, Human Torch, Namor, the Submariner, the war icons, you know, the wartime icons that have lasted and maintained over decades, you know, and the animosity between Hammond and Namor, the fire and the water, uh, you know, it's, it's with, with, with Steve in the middle, a man who they both, a human, who they both have absolute admiration for um and it's it's funny you know cuz jim has previously been been a very calm you know android uh Namor has been known for his hot-headedness hot-headedness and his rashness which of course was explained to us in chips invader series you know how he has, uh, his 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 uh, electrolytes needed balance by being back in water um so it's just it's so good and and for canwell to be able to develop these characters uh sorry i should have said you know the, the they were known that way and they've sort of flipped nearly a wee bit, uh, with Namor being a lot calmer and Hammond being maybe a little bit more seemingly fiery, uh, to use to use the term. But the fact that ha that, that Cantwell is able to continue to develop characters that are so and relationships that are so old, um, is just it's it's very it's very, very cool. I mean, the art is also brilliant. Uh I can't speak highly enough about uh about Pasquale Ferry. Uh there's there's something here as well that, you know, it, it casts back to Marvel's, uh, you know, the Kurt x series that we, that we love, um, just as, as just a fantastic, it's a fantastic series, it's going to be five issues, it will make a fantastic trade paperback, this is a really brilliant penultimate issue, emotions, desperation in this chapter are super high, um, the, the, the atmosphere is just spot on, both with regard to how it's written and, and the art. And uh it's just it is in the way that I said that you know, the Star Trek book is a love letter to classic the, the way that the series, the Star Trek series, this is kind of a love letter to the classic invaders, the classic stories of the invaders and the car those characters with the poor old Luke Cage stuck in the middle. Um yeah, heartwarming, gut wrenching, Cantwell's fantastic. That is all.
0: Excellent. So a penultimate issue, of course, of a mini series there. Uh, issue for I me, mean, if Pascal Ferry someone's archer, enjoying it so much, he's obviously moving on to Doctor Strange with Jen McKay soon as well. Oh,
1: yes, so, he is. Yeah, uh, I'm so excited about that.
0: Yeah, so that will be uh, a nice step in that direction as well. So, but uh, yeah, Keith says, you weren't that, on this, were you? No, no, this is this is not something I would have been on. I mean, it's something I could certainly see myself picking up and trade. I mean, I, I obviously love that always an invader maxi series that Chips mm-hmm. and Arsky did not too long mm-hmm. ago. Um so if there's some sort of natural extension storylines from that, uh I think I could be I could be tempted in so and Camwell is a writer and yeah. enjoy as well, just not when he's writing Iron Man. But Yeah, well
1: you don't know that because 'cause you've never read Iron Man.
0: <laughs> well we'll move away from that. But I I, I mentioned <laughs> penultimate issues because again this is an interesting pod, I have to say, that with what you pointed out because there's very little number ones we're talking about here. I mean, a penultimate issue of any series for me is where the mystery is usually solved. And then you deal with the consequences in the final issue. And that's the exact same with my next pick as well, which is Human Target, book 11. Now, this, of course, is the team of Tom Keane and Greg Smallwood. Uh, We've obviously talked at length about this is probably Tom Keane's preferred way of telling stories. His maxi-series self-contained. He obviously did such amazing work with Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. Really enjoyed Strange Adventures, Rorschach. I think Human Target has a case to be his best maxi series. I I mean, anyone who's listened to us or chatted the main store, they know how much I love the noir genre for a start. You know, the femme fatale, the the main character with so many regrets, all that kind of stuff. But he's meant he's managed to throw the noir sensibilities into the DC world and it feels absolutely natural. You know, there's been issues through the human target where Batman's been involved, where the Green Lantern's been involved, but it's always seemed like a really grounded human story, which is something I've really, really enjoyed. So, I mean, with human target, it's a, it's a character not an awful lot of people are as familiar with in the DC Universe, but, you know, a character called Christopher Chance, he's always made a living of being a human target, and what he means by that is he will disguise himself as a client to invite would-be assassins to attempt his murder, but he's always able to avoid anything happening to him. But, of course, in this case, he gets poisoned uh, when he's um, he's pretending to be Lex Luthor. So it then becomes a mystery who poisoned him, who wanted to kill Lex Luthor, and that's what we've examined over these uh, 11 issues so far. And it's got a really class format as well and structure because each issue is essentially a day, because when he's poisoned, he's got 12 mm. days before he dies. So we get to book eleven, and we get to the mystery being solved. And you know, it's th- this issue is gut wrenching. I think this issue, he is determined mm. to just enjoy this one perfect day with you know this woman he's fallen in love with, who may or may not have had something to do with the poisoning in the first place. But uh, we will, we will skip over that part and just look at this perfect day because he knows it's coming to an end. There's so much gut-wrenching dialogue in this like you know they're they're lying on the beach and you know the the perfect sun's come down everyone's relaxed and you know the girl will say to him you know he'll ask her will you miss me and she says shut up he says i got lucky you know i won't miss you i'll just be gone because he'll be dead he won't have to deal with that heartbreak so to speak um but yeah the 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 mystery gets solved we're left with an excellent cliffhanger at the end as well because this book could go one of three ways which in itself is really really interesting you know the ending is by no means set in the stars so to speak but as great as the writing has been the art has been another level good the art is greg smallwood it just looks like it's it's come off a 50s advertising campaign it's all beautiful clean lines it's pastel colors it's an interesting panel layout you know the dialogue will be in different places there's also loads of narration, but instead of it just being corner boxes and being really generic the way sometimes comics can be, you'll maybe have half pages where half the page is text, half the page is the, the, uh, the art itself. It's just, I think Tom King's strength when it comes to DC is taking these characters that people maybe don't know as much about and giving them a fresh lease of life. He's doing it with another series called Danger Street at the moment. He's done it with The Human Target. He did it with, you know... Adam Strange was not the most well-known character in DC Universe, certainly in the modern day anyway. Maybe he was a more popular character back in a more sci-fi tinged world. But I've absolutely adored this book, and it really does have a case of being his best book. And as I say, mystery solved. Now we deal with the Fallout in issue 12. So fantastic series. You're you're not on this, are you? I am on this. I worried there. The only reason I say that is because you were taking your headphones out as if I was about to drop a spoiler.
1: No, 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 <laughs> not at all. I was, I was adjusting my headphones because sometimes yeah. these things can be a little sore in the ears. You had me uh, worried because it
0: was just as no. I was saying about something there. Because as I said, in yeah. intro guys, there are mild spoilers along the way, but yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, it's. Uh, I mean, you didn't, you didn't mention the, you know, the, 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 the female character in this is ice or fire and ice. Uh, you know, who's been written by uh, a number of a number of writers uh, over the years. Uh, Guy Gardner, Green Lantern is involved in this, and this was the issue that yeah, he, he went off planet for the first time uh which is kind of weird no i i think this is great i'm really enjoying it uh it is up there i think with tom king's best but for me it has not yet exceeded uh supergirl woman of tomorrow oh, uh, i that's think that's why gonna, i said it has it's, a
0: chance depends if it sticks the landing yeah
1: well i even if it sticks to the landing i don't think it's there for me but it is bloody good um Yeah, really enjoying it, Uh, really enjoying the main character uh, and getting inside his head. And, I mean, it is that final day. I mean, I think there's more going on here as well. I don't know, you know, how much of this is him enjoying that final day and how much of this is... He's he's quite a cynic, Mm. and that's part of the thing. He's fallen in love, but I don't think he's ever let go of of knowing what he knows and and being a detective and, and solving that mystery. You know, so yeah, I, I, think, I, I don't I, I don't I don't think he's I don't think this issue is about him tailing it out. I think this is him. He he already knows what he knows. Uh, he knows and I think he's... But
0: he knows he can't change it. So he's just determined to have that one happy sort of, you know, he, he lays the guilt on her quite heavily, which is why I think it's really interesting where he's saying things like, oh, you know, I won't have to miss you because I won't be here. He's basically saying to her, you're going to have to live the guilt of what you did. But I'm still yeah, yeah, really yeah. enjoy this day with you. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. You because know, obviously, but, you know, I mean, she's an attractive girl, and you know, there's 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 so much that they have in common in other ways, and they just they just sort of bounce off each other brilliantly. But you get the feeling that the, the the cynicism is still there. It's definitely still there, and there's definitely little jabs along the way, to the point where she cracks about it, and you know, she's just like, "Why don't you just kill me?" Like, you you know what you know now, and he's just like, "It's fine. It won't change anything." You know what I mean? So it's, I don't know. I I I'm really really digging this book. Uh, same again. It's been another one I've read a couple of times, and I think it'll really benefit from a big reread when it released. Hopefully, in an all-in-one graphic novel. DC are doing this really annoying thing at the moment where they're releasing six issues in a hardcover, and doing two volumes for a twelve-issue maxi series instead of just doing a beautiful hardcover. They'll probably do both in the end. But uh, no, I I love this book again. Just yeah, they with the best stuff. You
1: know. The other thing I love about it is Christopher Chance is just a man with a skill set, yeah. you know, and, you know, he's he's flirting with this world of of super heroics, uh, you know, which is which is and and, and supernatural things, which is really, really interesting. Yeah, very much enjoying this series. Um, Yeah, for sure.
0: Cool. Sweet. Cool. Cool. So that is human target number 11, as I say, another series reaching its end, just like the the previous name or conquered shore. Uh, and another series that's that's not quite at it's end as close as those two books, but this is only a six-issue mini series, which surprises me. There's definitely there's more they could do with this. I think this next title.
1: Oh, this next choice of mine. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and that is um, Damn Them All, uh, number four, uh, which was released on the 25th of January. Uh, again, another one of my favorite writers. Uh, writer is uh, Cy Spurrier uh the artist is Charlie Adler, lately of the walking dead and the publisher is boom studios uh my chosen publisher of 2022 um so yeah you had say, you were saying alan uh, this is only 6
0: only 6 issue mini
1: yeah it's uh and I mean, what a what a series! I mean, I'm loving for first thing. I mean, before you before you even open the page, the series of covers are class, aren't they? Yeah. The, just the style of them. A different color uh, each
0: time, big logo, character profile. Yeah, it was really nice.
1: You know, and I mean, you say this is this is a, a six story arc, but or a six story series. But I, I I get the feeling that this is sort of the first arc of that series. Uh, and the reason I say that, uh, you know, it's maybe one of those ones that. You know they'll, they'll, they've advertised the six, but yeah. the the central conceit uh, is that there are seventy two demons uh, who are released. You know what I mean? So you you have a you have a, you have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of demons together up there. Um, you know, but it's uh, it, it really is a sorry. Anyway, just to get into it. Um, you know we've got we've got this this great series, um, which uh, spotlights uh, uh, spotlights Ellie, who uh, like uh, the uh, the the magician uh, that Seisbarier previously wrote, uh, the self same John Constantine, uh, as a, a London-based uh, British magician, uh, working class uh who learned everything she knew from her who now deceased Uncle Alfie. Uh and uh Great she's a name. name of a local mobster. Uh now as a result What's that?
0: Alfie. Great name.
1: Oh yeah, sorry. Sorry, yes absolutely. Salt, yeah, hundred percent sorry. sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. Straight 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 in there. Um so yeah, I mean it's uh the the the, the, the central conceit is that as a result of uh of uh seemingly mysterious goings on uh these 72 demons of hell have been have been released into the world uh they are i think variously attached to coins and uh and the, that person who owns the coin can uh, can command uh command the demon um and for their you know to to grant them wishes each of the demons have have their own sort of territory of control their own domain as it were and uh, and as you say this 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 arc is reaching a very sort of satisfying conclusion again, bingo card, but you've already crossed this one off. You know, the word building that has gone into creating, uh, the word of, of damn them all, uh, is really fantastic. Uh, you know, there's, and again, you know, the, the Jonathan Hickman style data pages, fleshing out the different spirits and the different rules that go into conjuring and controlling them, uh, usually pulled from uncle Alfie's, you know, uh, arcane tomes and it's just it gives you a lot to, it gives you a lot to think about you know um the the story has has sort of taken on another another character dora uh, who was a uh, who's an american i think i like a cop and she was a former lovey lover of uncle Alfie's, you know so we have this dynamic duo again of uh of ellie uh the the very cynical ellie the uh the, the american cop dora um on a mission to find out effectively who killed uncle Alfie and put the 72 demons, uh, back where, uh, back where they belong. Um, so yeah, just, just a really, really enjoyable, uh, just a really enjoyable series. I mean, I was, I was disappointed, uh, by what was the, the, uh, um, we have demons. Wasn't that it? Yeah. That was great. Capullo and
0: Scott Snyder. Yeah.
1: this. Disappointed. Disappointed by that uh, this I think maybe maybe this is what I was expecting from that uh, just a really just a really good really really good story um, You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a, a, a dark supernatural thriller you could It's got sniff of, of something is killing the children uh, We've got you know the, the main character. <laughs> what do you call her? She's called Ellie, but she goes by bloody L Mm. Uh, carries a carries a hammer around with her and uh it's just all organized crime tracking down exiled demons damning them to hell by any means necessary um and uh there's it's hard to beat uh charlie Adler art um so yeah i, I just uh, i mean they're under the it's hard to avoid also the the comparisons with john constantine but uh in all the best ways
0: yeah, this was clearly just Eisbreier deciding I want to continue to write Hellblazer, despite with DC. So <laughs> I'll just uh, change the gender and move it the Image Comics and do a similar tone. And why not? Yeah, yeah.
1: And why not? Yeah, and and well, I mean, obviously we may hopefully not have seen the uh, not have seen the the end of fingers crossed Eisbreier on Hellblazer, uh, but uh, this is definitely scratching that itch in the meantime. And as I say, just uh, lining those covers up. Um, you know, covers sort of are all a primary colour down the ball in the middle and one of the main characters that has been focused on sort of right off at the at the left hand side of the you know at the spine so they're just lovely they're lovely covers. Yeah. Um and you know they're exploring as well they're they're really current with regard to politics as you might expect with Seisberger. Uh you know you've got this homeless man who finds this coin, you know, this refugee who finds this coin wants to become the Prime Minister, you know, because he's fed up with you know all of the Yeah so it's it's pretty cool man pretty cool i think you're maybe enjoying this as much as i am
0: yeah big time no i'm i'm on this as well and i've been enjoying i mean that's the thing it could be as long a series as it wanted wants to be but it's just even looking ahead in my unshipped orders like it says damn them all five of six damn them all six of six even once in future drop that of six after a while because they knew it was going to be longer so i'll just be curious to see if it does continue on but uh
1: yeah, I way. mean, it, I mean, it. Yeah, it could be a few months down the line. We could have damned them all too. Number one of you know, like Magic Order, you know. Yeah. One, two, three, and four. So yeah, so uh, yeah, damned them all. damn them all. Number four. Strong. Well, the second issue was strong as well, but this is a this is a very strong issue. Uh, maybe maybe the strongest of the series so far. Um, and again, this is going to make a lovely a lovely trade. Yeah, big time,
0: big time. So yeah, damn them all. Number four. So. Already, this has been sort of a podcast. The first, as I say, because we don't have very many number ones, if any at all, in our picks of the month. But believe it or not, the next two picks, one each, are from Dynamite. This is just Ew. this is off the scale stuff. What are we doing in twenty twenty three, Mama? What are we doing? Um, but yeah, <laughs> for me, it is uh, again another issue which is rounding off a series, and it's really cool because. I'm a big James Bond fan in general. Like I grew up watching the James Bond movies. Roger Moore is my personal favorite James Bond, just because he embraced the ridiculousness of the role and just you know did it with a nod and a wink to the audience. You know, there's I I, I like different James Bonds in different ways for different reasons, but Roger Moore is definitely my favorite. But comics wise, I've never really got into James Bond titles. I've read the odd one here and there, but once I saw Phil Kennedy Johnson was taking over and calling it just 007, I thought I'd jump on board and. This title for me, it got off to a slightly slow start, but holy crap, it revved up towards the end. This this is the closest I've seen to a a comic book reflecting the feel of a Bond movie. So, as I say, six-issue miniseries. This is issue six, which I'm going to be primarily talking about. But it basically kicks off with uh, James Bond being uh, contacted by an old flaming mentor called Gwendolyn. And she was uh, Agent 003. And she warns Bond of a threat to England and the Global Balance powerless kind of stuff. But 003 turns up dead and Bond then, of course, goes on a personal mission, wants to find out what happened to her, but also wants to try and infiltrate this shadowy organisation known as Myrmidon. So that's the general crux of the series. So throughout the issues, Bond's able to go undercover. He's able to you know, convince these people that he's left MI6. That he is, you know, happy to be a trader and earn money as a mercenary these days, blah blah blah, and get closer and closer to this, uh, to this plot. But he's, there's always been this one henchman who's been suspicious of Bond, who calls him Jimmy the whole way through it. Um, they set Bond up in different ways to pull off hits for them, so that they can test his loyalty. But issue six brings us all to a head, and it feels like Act Three in a James Bond movie. You know, you've got a big car chase action sequence with you know guns being fired in all different directions. You've got Bond trying to, you know, get a mole away from the organization who will testify against them. You've got the face off on the bridge between the main henchmen and bond but of course the henchman has a gun and james of course appeals to his arrogance and says oh you're not going to fight me with your fists and you know kill me with your hands that kind of thing but it all leads to bond of course getting the better of the henchman who's always called him jimmy and as he kills him he's like you know screw you jimmy he goes my name's bond james bond not jimmy so there's just all these cool moments in it that really make it feel like a bond movie but it kill, it finishes off um, with Bond sort of uh, being involved in an explosion. And, you know, you're not sure if he's alive or dead. And what what elevated this for me a little bit was because we got to the very end and M and all of the MI6 guys were chatting about the mission. Bond was successful, but we have no idea where he is. And then you've got this final scene where Bond wakes up in the back of a car and who's driving the car. But spoilers alert, 003 is alive. And there's going to be a mission from here on in. So they're about to move on to a new series called 007 for Keenan Country. Phil Kennedy Johnson's going to continue it. And the book actually ends with M saying, um, with bringing in a new 00 and says, I need you to bring in 007. If he won't come, kill him. So it's it's just, it's taken really interesting directions. And again, it leaves you in a perfect cliffhanger. I couldn't, like, I was so glad when I saw a follow-up series was announced for it they they really played with the whole 003 thing like you were convinced she was dead the whole way through I mean they even start off this issue with a cool little scene where the two of them are lying in bed talking about you know if they weren't 00s and you know what could be and blah 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 so just a really strong series I know you jumped off of this a couple issues and it just wasn't grabbing you in the same way
1: yeah and, yeah
0: and I can understand that I did think it started slowly but it ended really the last few issues have been fantastic and as I say I'm genuinely yeah. excited for the next James Bond series, and, and it's, yeah, you haven't. Yeah.
1: It's funny because you haven't you haven't mentioned it uh, in a lot of months uh, either either on here or in our conversations. Yeah. Um. So it's interesting. It's cool to hear you talking about it with passion. Um. Obviously, Philip Philip K. Johnson is a is a fantastic writer. Um. But yeah, it just didn't it just didn't grab me. I admittedly am not as big a Bond guy as you are. Yeah. Um. You know. But yeah, that that's 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 very cool. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're enjoying it.
0: Well, as I said, Dynamite title from me for Pick of the Month, which was 007 number 6, and a Dynamite Pick of the Month for you as well.
1: Yes, indeed, and not just that, but uh, also a uh, a venerable uh, classic license uh, uh, with Dynamite, which they seem to they seem to specialize in. So I've got uh, Tarzan. Well, it's not Tarzan. It's Lord of the Jungle uh, number 3, which was a 25th of January release. Writer on this series is Dan Jurgens. Artist is Benito Gallego. And As you mentioned, we've got a dynamite entertainment book here. So, third, uh, third uh, issue of this particular series, and we witness Tarzan's first encounter with white hunters. We begin. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a dual narrative. Uh, one set, one narrative set uh, later in Tarzan's life, uh, whenever he's an older man, and one during his, his early days, and we begin with an older masked Tarzan breaking into uh, a museum building. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't know that it's a museum building initially. We soon learn that and that Tarzan's searching for something in particular. Then we, we flash back to Tarzan's early days and we see Tarzan intervening in a lion hunt gone wrong. He saves a guy called Carson, who is one of the, the more kindly colonialists who's working for the ruthless, uh, the ruthless white hunter, uh, Shaw, and to repay Tarzan's help, Carson, Carson teaches Tarzan English and rudimentary Western customs, you know that sort of thing. Uh, and then, you know, when Tarzan encounters Shaw again, he arrives in time to to learn why Shaw is in the jungle, and uh, we conclude the issue with a with a bargain struck under duress, uh, a hint of what's what's going to happen, and uh, an attempt to uh, an attempt to sort of turn things turn things around a bit. Um all the way through, you know, we have uh Tarzan's Tarzan's friend Boanga narrating the story where you know he, he robs the museum and, and where he comes face to face with the man, Shaw, who murdered his eight mother Kala and, and that deal. And uh it's uh yeah, it's 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 great stuff. Um it really is. Um it continues to impress me. More than I thought it would. Uh, I picked this up because I enjoy pulp heroes, the you know the shadows, the rocketeers, uh, those sorts of things. Tarzan is one of those very much, but also because Dan Jurgens was on it, and he he really the writer really brings uh, the property to life, the character to life, uh, with all of the you know that that pulp spirit, that pulp serialized adventure spirit that you get hope for. Um, I, I don't think you could ask for a for a a better turn at, at uh you know picking Tarzan up again. Everything everything works very well. That that split between the focus on Tarzan's early days in the jungle and his present adventure as an older, wiser man, but still you know, he's become he he's become a a, a melding of his Tarzan self and his Lord Greystoke self. You know, he still has those skills, you know, making these amazing leaps and whatnot, despite the fact he's a He's a man in his maybe 60s, you know, and, uh, you know, Dan Juergens really understands this material. He he recounts Tarzan's first exposure to white hunters, his, you know, adaptability to language and, you know, how he uses his knowledge to, to help his animal family uh, and you, you sort of, I mean, there's a reason that Tarzan has been around as long as he's been around. He's maybe taken a wee bit of a dip at the minute. It's been a long time since we've seen a Tarzan movie. Uh, you know, there's probably something in there around, well, I don't know, uh, you know, around cultural appropriation or whatnot. But but there is a reason that, that Tarzan is a, is a classic hero. Um, great pacing, great plot, very cool dialogue. Uh, you know, the right balance between... Yeah, I mean there's there's nearly a Hollywood sort of he doesn't there's there's a danger with Tarzan of dipping into the Hollywood stereotype of, you know, jungle savages and, and White Saviour and that, you know, but I don't think the that, that Jurgens does this with the, the dialogue. And also, you know, Juergens aside, uh Galego's art is fantastic. It 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 feels like it's an homage to Bronze Age comics. It's beautiful clean lines. Uh, you know, Segala makes brilliant color choices. Um, just, it just looks, it looks great. It feels great. It feels the way it should feel. Um, I think, um, and and it, it's, it's a really intriguing story and I just, I'm just really enjoying sort of this take on the character. Tarzan was a thing whenever I was a kid. Uh, there was a, there was a Tarzan TV show uh that was maybe well i mean there's been tarzan tv shows for years but there was a there was a tarzan tv show in the 80s that i was kind of addicted to if i recall and i really i'm really enjoying this take on the character uh enough that i'm buying a Dynamite dynamite book um you know and i'm I'm hoping that they continue to they continue to do this um with dan jurgens at the helm
0: well again what you, you can tell what dynamite obviously specialize in these days which is pulp heroes you know and We have two different examples here, one from you, one from me. They're just opposite ends of the the genre, if you will, but they both definitively fall under Pulp Heroes, James Bond, Tarzan. They did do a Tarzan movie a few years back. I think it was Alexander Skarsgård and Margot Robbie was in it. I don't think it was particularly successful. Uh, Mm. And I think the last sort of successful attempt was more of a, a comedy mocking of the character, which was George of the Jungle
1: you really going back well to... george of the jungle george of the jungle is a is also a character yeah. uh you know an established character who was obviously a spin off of or not a spin off but a yeah a jab at Tarzan. but yeah i mean i i you're not reading this i don't think no no it's it's not been on my radar um i'll i'll maybe fire you the first two or three issues uh just so you can have a you can have a look it's just it's just well written comic books in the style of those pulp serials very very good stuff
0: nice so as I say, our dynamite twofer is over there with Keith's pick being Lord of the jungle number three, and yeah, we've we've long left DC and Marvel behind at this point. We're going to be finished off with uh, indie stuff all round. So my last pick is something that I can barely even talk about because Keith hasn't read it yet, and the joy of this issue is in the surprises. Um, do you want me to? Do you want me to? No, do you want me to buy out for just I, a minute? I've I've been thinking about it. You know how I can you know talk about this in a way where I don't give too much away, but I, I can. And still I mean, do that. the
1: reason. The reason for this is not because I don't want to read the book. It's just that as a result of Alan and Vicky's kindness, uh, I own the first couple of, I'm reading the book in in, in hardbacks. Uh, so I own the hardbacks and I've never picked up the single issues. I don't want to pick up the single issues because I know I'm going to pick up the next hardback. Uh, so I haven't been, and I did read the first one, but I just haven't kept up. You you did offer to loan them to me. We just haven't got around to doing that. Uh, so it's not that I don't love the story, I just am not uh, up to date on the story as a result of my my forced format.
0: That is fair. And that title, of course, we are talking about is Saga, uh, which came back with uh, Chapter 61 uh, in January. So, of course, Saga always does this. It goes away for six issues. It releases its graphic novel then gets people caught up, then the single issues come out. But as Keith says, there are a couple of different formats you can enjoy Saga. You've got trip paperbacks, which are six issues at a time. You've got your single floppies, of course. You've got hardcover graphics, which have 18 issues at a time. And then if you really want to torture yourself, there is a, a compendium of 54 issues. You'll be waiting about another seven or eight years for the second one of those to come out if you're yeah. keeping your shelf this exact same way. But no, I mean, I, c- I can talk about it in generalities, but the thing about it is Saga at this point. When something's this far into it, it should not feel as fresh as it does, but Saga somehow maintains this every time. I mean, Chapter 61, this is the first issue to go back to second print since 54, which was the last issue before the, the, the long break. So it's clearly still bringing new readers in, and maybe, as you say, Keith, people who are maybe less OCD than us have been you know, collecting trade paperbacks and are now <laughs> on the singles, whatever, but... But no, what they do with this issue is they bring back a few different characters in interesting ways. There's some nice dream sequences. I mean, there, there's there's characters we thought we'd never see again that have been brought back in these dream sequences, and it's great to touch base with those characters who've you know helped shape Saga into what they have become. We've had our usual time jump as well, so Hazel is a little bit older again. She's turning into uh, a little bit of a moody teenager, which is kind of fun. Little smart mouth teenager with, of course. Uh, the princeling robot as well, they're best buds, they're practically family at this point. There's a lot of moving parts going on here. Um, Alana and Hazel are still being pursued across the galaxy by various different bounty hunters. Alana's still trying to scrape a living and be a mother at the same time while navigating these new worlds. There's uh, an amazing cliffhanger which I'm surprised has taken as long to get to this cliffhanger. Given that this is a world of fantasy and a world of magic and a world of you know endless possibilities, I'm surprised in a way we've waited until now for this this sort of twist to come. But uh that that last page is a big splash page with just one line of dialogue and a character as wide-eyed as it comes, thinking that's a possibility. Uh just a fantastic issue all around. I mean, saga just continues to knock it out of the park every time. You know, for me when it comes to image and there's long series There's Invincible, there's Walking Dead, there's Deadly Class, and there's Saga. And they're the best examples of series that are 50 issues and more that just maintain that quality the whole way through. So, uh, yeah, whatever your preferred format is, just don't miss out on Saga. As I say, we're more than happy to throw you the single issues if you want to read them. And then, of course, you can pick out the hardcover when it comes. So. Yeah. yeah
1: yeah maybe that's that's the way to go that's the way we yeah. just have to we just have to line it up and uh, yeah 100 yeah uh, perfect
0: well, a welcome return for one of the best titles around uh, and as i say one of the titles that got vicky in the comics so it'll always hold a special place for us as well so that pretty much finishes up my picks of the months from january i must say i got one more for you i must say when i saw the the sheet filled out this filled me with a little bit of a joy Because I know this was a series after one issue, you were like, I'm not too sure about this. Yes, you're right. I think this is great. And look, here we are. Number three is a pick of the month. What are we talking about?
1: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Uh, You're exactly right. Uh, It's Once Upon a Time at the End of the Word, number three. It's a 25th of January release. The writer is the mighty Jason Aaron, uh, the, uh, the, the Asgardian god himself. Uh, the artists are Alexandria Tefengi, uh, of the, uh, lately of The the Good Asian, and uh, Nick uh, Dragotta, who I guess east of west would maybe be the oh, biggest, yeah. but he's been all over the map, Superman, Amazing Spider-Man, uh, all of those bits and pieces, and this is a Boom Studios book. As Alan said, uh, I picked it up because it was Jason Aaron. I read the first issue and I enjoyed it all right, but I, I just wasn't. I wasn't as taken as i expected to be maybe i had maybe i had very uh i was it was jason Aaron. maybe i, I was expecting something that was never gonna deliver but uh this the, the the issue three i enjoyed issue two issue three was was even better i mean jason Aaron, obviously from thor and war of the realms his own sort of star wars take um Currently on on Avengers and 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 doing a, a fantastic job on that Southern Bastard Scalped, um. I mean, sculpt Jason Aaron knows that a... <laughs> He knows what he's doing when it comes to writing comic books. Sometimes Avengers, being a case in point, he can be a wee bit of a it takes a slow starter
0: mm-hmm.
1: sometimes, and you know, once once upon a time at the end of the world is is his newest a, and i think what is i think what what is impressive about this is that you know over the three issues his his writing has has improved on it from my point of view anyway massively um and it's a, it's a post-apocalyptic story of of survival and of love and i i just think by issue three all the parts have come together that just that 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 make me tick um the story is about uh, Masio and Mezzi, two survivors who are from very opposite sides of the, the coin. Mezzi, Esmeralda is the, the tough as nails, you know, uh, smart, street smart, you know, survivalist fighter. Uh, and Masio is annoyingly optimistic. He carries, he, he's got no practicality. carries this big Massive backpack of stuff around with him everywhere, you know. Sees the value in dancing, and, and and but he also has the talent of of looking at different sides of problems and a real inventiveness, you know, a, a tinker. And uh, I just I, I love it, you know. It's the second time, the first of two times that I saw this this month was how whenever there's a scene in this where where Masio makes mezzy laugh and she doesn't realize what it is (laughs) uh when she's laughing you know what's this you know and 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 the second time actually i saw that was in the latest the latest episode of the last of us uh which was which was sort of where that was but i mean the dialogue in this is great there is a there is a a narrator who sets the tone uh you know the narrator is, is a separate character or a separate you know a I guess, you know, and he when they're they're you and it's just, I think uh, we've got them trekking across this barren wasteland. They don't know that they're being hunted, they're being hunted by Mezzi's old uh old I guess they they're like a scout troop, aren't they? Yeah. They're they're like almost a religious the, the, as a scout troop in post-apocalypse, they've become religious fundamentalists of some kind. They're trekking across this barren, dangerous wasteland that's that's slowly bringing them together uh, in all sorts of ways. As again, you know that laughter is a is a, a an example. Uh, Massio is learning to survive; his confidence is growing. Mezzi learns more about the world outside of the where and how she's been raised we don't know yet what that is but clearly there were rules and regulations and strictures uh and she's now outside of that for whatever reason and uh you know her walls are are, are coming down uh but the the people here are hunting them the mezzi's former former group are getting are getting closer there's a there's a really poignant uh encounter with us this, this dying man that sort of complicates things a wee bit um you know whenever the the hard edge of of what Mezzi decides to do surprises masio and sort of re-highlights their differences i suppose um and uh yeah it's 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 pretty cool and there's something going on in the future years in the future yeah uh we've got a much older masio who's been captured fighting for his life and and is just showing the creatures who took them just how dangerous he is because we we see the tinkering side of of masio and i guess the the uh the, the 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 line he uses is something along the lines of you heard him and um, you heard him an inventor my greatest invention is my, myself uh, is pretty cool a very different very different character uh, a very different character there both artists deliver fantastic art in this issue and they have since the start great visual style and you know how you know they 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 show this this kind of violent unpredictable world. Uh, there's splash pages and double page spreads, and Alexander Tefengi, The artwork, you know, just tells the story. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, as they say, a picture's worth a thousand words. You know, of this dead earth, these burnt plains, oceans of, you know, abandoned vehicles, uh, and just these two little little survivors that sometimes you're sort of trying to pick out of, of these these vistas of 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 post-apocalyptic vistas. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Gone from uh, from wondering what the hell was going on in issue one and not really enjoying it to I should have trusted Jason Aaron. Of course, I should have trusted Jason Aaron. Trusted him enough to pick it up. I should have trusted him, you know, enough to. And I did trust him enough. I stuck with it. I stuck with it. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about dropping it, but I didn't. And yeah, I think this could potentially be some of Jason Aaron's best. Uh, but let's 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 wait and see. Really looking forward to the to the next chapter.
0: Yeah, I've been enjoying this as well. I I think it's just that central friendship, and I I I just always love that sort of road trip type feel to it, where both people can learn something off each other. You know, you've got the optimist, and then you've got the prac, you know, the practical side as well. You've got the survivor, and you've got the you know, you've got the, the dreamer. You've got the yeah, the, the cynical survivor and the optimistic dreamer of a better world, so to speak. But then yeah. that, it's flipped on its head by the fact that. You you get this older sense where the optimistic dreamer has been replaced almost by something much more dangerous than that as well. So I love that. Yeah, you know that's yeah. It's going towards it. It, it plays the storytelling tropes really, really well. And but yeah, I love that, that the, friendship the... that's developing. It's really cool.
1: Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And they're they're obviously they rub off on one another. In the future, we have no sign of uh, of Messi yet. Yeah, uh, which is worrying. I wonder worrying. if this is a rescue uh,
0: attempt for her, or something like that. But yeah, we'll see.
1: Yeah, it could be, and it's interesting, you know, just to just to tail the show with uh, with something we talked about at the start. You know, you had said, you know, you're not watching The Last of Us because you're maybe a wee bit burnt out with post-apocalyptic stuff. You you know, you're you you want to watch sort of lighter stuff. Maybe that's the byproduct, you know, of 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 becoming a daddy. You know, you want to see a wee bit of a a, a brighter world, yeah. um, but yet, in some ways, this series is darker than The Last of Us. So, and you you seem to Obviously be
0: enjoying I it. I'll say that What's Last of Us? But yeah, but maybe yeah, Maybe it's yeah. just because you've got that optimistic, happy character, and you've got you know the the cynical survivor who's slowly coming around to their way of thinking, as you say, learning things like learning how to laugh or you know things yeah, like that yeah. and... well, well i
1: mean that there are parts of this that remind me of the darkest i think of all apocalypses which is comic mccarthy's the road
0: yeah
1: uh, i mean that is that is a story without hope and there are parts of this the way the world has gone that remind me more of that than of the likes of the, the near future apocalypse yeah. of the last of us or the walking dead you know so uh where there is still something potentially could be rebuilt you know um, but the yeah, road does yeah, but, have uh, yeah, uh,
0: yeah. The road does have a couple of the best pages ever written in prose, where they find an unopened can of coke, and they talk about the sensations <laughs> of the. Like I remember reading the road. I read the road when I went traveling, and you know it is a, a relentlessly dark book. But you know those those moments yeah. of joy are just they're 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 exaggerated even more just because they're so fleeting. But uh, really yeah, really yeah, good book. Yeah, I've never watched the movie, but I really enjoyed the book.
1: Uh, the the movie does an all right job of of capturing that that I mean that darkness. I mean that's why you have Viggo Mortensen in there. Yeah.
0: Very <laughs> much so.
1: So anyway, so that's my final choice. Uh, or Once Upon a Time at the End of the World, number three by Jason Aaron, and I would heartily recommend going back and picking up number one and number two. And as you say, one that was that the the first one didn't impress me, but the third one has impressed me enough to to take it as one of my picks of uh, of January.
0: Awesome bringing a close to our January reviews show, just a two-hour show for you this week. Um, but yeah tons of great stuff to get through there and uh, and chat about which is always a pleasure and then just yeah lots of lots of cool catch up stuff there as well so I mean as ever if any of those titles appeal to you pop in the store we can you know advise you the best way to get them whether it's picking them up in singles waiting for trades what those collected editions are going to be that kind of thing uh, but yeah we're always happy to help out with that where we can as well so yeah we're going to stick a pin in it there we're going to go and enjoy the, or the rest of our Friday evenings I'm going to go grab some dinner and uh, get a little hug with a certain special little boy uh, that is not as dodgy as it sounds I promise and uh, your evening <laughs> you didn't make it sound dodgy and your evening will be I, spent um, I believe uh, gaming
1: that is right um, Friday night is uh, for the most part me getting together with my old uh, my old buddies, some of my closest friends uh, and oldest friends uh, on Discord uh, where we engage in certain uh, so- role-playing. We're currently playing Dungeons & Dragons, uh, Curse of Strad. It's one of my buddy's first time GMing. Uh, it's something we started actually to keep us sane over the lockdown. Uh, we got back together. We got the band back together uh, after 10 years of not really being in the same place. And it's just it's a fantastic way to, to spend some time. So I'm going to grab a pizza or something and uh, and get on to that.
0: Awesome. Well, enjoy the rest of your evening and thanks everybody as always for listening. And uh, we look forward to seeing you hopefully in store soon. We're hoping to be back next week, possibly with a little creator interview. So keep your eyes peeled for that. So, as ever, thanks to Keith for your company this evening, sir. And uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. So, I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller.
1: You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm scannyson 0 Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast.
0: You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well